This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Happy Monday, everybody. The Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there, what's up? Busy weekend. Sixers have a playoff opponent. Phillies were worth watching. They'll play the Mets starting tonight. We'll have more on that. Bob Wankel will talk some fills later on. Football at four. A lot of Eagles news we're going to get into today. Also, what a fight Saturday night, man. Great UFC card. One of the fights of the year. Now, John Anik said it's the greatest fight he's ever called. Josh disagreed with him. But that's how good of a fight we saw at UFC 273. Uh, Tim Legler at 3 o'clock today. Mike McGarry this hour. So we got a busy show. Uh, Saturday, the Sixers, they uh, beat the Pacers and then won over the Detroit Pistons last night to close out the season. But it was to no avail as Boston beat Memphis last night and Milwaukee lost their game. Milwaukee went from two to three. Boston went from four to two. And Philadelphia went from three to four. And they will play the Toronto Raptors in the first round of the NBA playoffs, 6 o'clock Saturday, right here on 97.3 ESPN. I'll tell you what, it's a horrible matchup for the Sixers, number one. Number two, the whole Matisse-Steibel thing, we talked about it last week. You wanted to try to avoid playing Toronto just to get this thing off your lap. Now, last night, he at least acknowledged the whole situation, so it might be past the team getting questioned about it, maybe, but I'm sure, like, the other players have not been asked about it. Matisse got a chance to talk about it last night. He said, look, I'm not vaccinated. He's a holistic, um, I guess he believes in Chinese medicine, which is interesting considering about 85% of the population in China is vaccinated. So it seems a little wonky that um, he goes down the holistic Chinese medicine view, yet is basically suggesting he he actually does have one of the shots which makes this even more bizarre yeah well i think there's two i felt from his explanation last night it was a little bit of a conflicting thing because one he's talking about holistic chinese asian medicine which is a, is a real thing there's a lot of people who do a lot of holistic things the problem is like you said well then why did you take the shot initially in the he first took the place? shot in the first place then he said when he found out that it didn't basically um, meet his personal... Well, he said he thought that the shot would make you not be someone who could carry and give to somebody else. Correct. He thought if you got the shot that you basically would be 100%, and obviously that's not the case. I right. feel like we've been... Um, we have a lot of people out there that just don't understand how vaccines work. But the weird part is about Thibel. The guy's from Australia. Correct. So to travel from Australia to the States to go to college at the University of Washington, he has had to have vaccines. Well, again, we're getting back to what is a, what is or isn't certain things here. Because as we know, technically it's not a vaccine. It's an mRNA shot. There are a lot of people who are putting out misinformation that this was going to, you know, 
prevent different things that obviously nobody nobody within knowledge of this ever said, but there's a lot of misinformation put out there. And it seems that Thibel was one of the people who, can I use the word, word snookered into thinking incorrectly? Well, he obviously went down the path of getting the first shot. He does have the first Pfizer shot. Correct. He did not get the second shot, and he has decided that he's not going to go down the road. Now, he is ineligible for all the games in Toronto. Correct. He cannot play in any of the games in Canada. Canada has a different mandate than we do here in the States. Canada is one of the few countries in the world right now that require you to have a current vac- current COVID vaccination status, as they call it. Which means that you have to be up to date on not just your shot, but your boosters. They're one of the few countries in the world right now that are requiring for entry into the country. Mm-hmm. There's no exceptions. There's no medical exemptions. There's nothing. Right. And they're not budgeting on that for anything, including the NBA. So no. this is the deal. Matisse Thibel cannot play. Now, how impactful is that? Well, it's pretty impactful. Matisse Thibel is by far the Sixers' best defensive player. Correct. You saw what happened when you played the Raptors a couple of nights ago, and Matisse Thibel was not available. The Sixers just cannot defend wing players. And late in the game, if you need a stop, let's say Siakam's having a night where he's got 30 and he's just feeling it, Matisse Thibel would be a guy that you would say, hey, we need you to get a defensive stop. Is Matisse Thibel a great on-ball defender? See, I think that's a little bit of the question. I think it's a little bit of a myth that Thibel's this great man-to-man defender. Mm-hmm. I think what Thibel's really good at is as he's a good off-the-ball anticipator. He gets a lot of steals because he's very long in the passing lane. He gets his hands, he gets tips, he gets, you know, he's got a lot, he's got a very long wingspan. So he gets a lot of tips and steals. He also is very good at the backside block. He'll come from behind you and get that block. He's not an excellent man-to-man on-ball defender, in my opinion, anyway. He gets a lot of steals where the guy gets past him and he'll reach behind or reach you know, around the guy and poke it from the backside. So that being said, you saw what Doc Rivers did on Saturday. He started Danny Green in that game. And his reasoning really was, hey, we're going to have to get used to Danny Green starting. I think they maybe should have stuck with Danny Green anyway and have Thibel come off the bench because he provides you Zippo offensively. Correct. And if Green can make some shots like he has recently. The question is, though, when you're going on the road for those three games in Toronto, if you have to play all three games in Toronto, who gets the Thibel minutes? I think that's a big one because what we saw over the last couple of games is interesting. The Shake Milton that you got last night, can I get him in a playoff series, please? Like, (laughs) what is it about these guys that out of nowhere, the guy has a 30-point night like that? I mean, Milton had a game in the playoffs last year where he went bananas. Sure. So, we'll talk to Tib Legler about this coming up at 3 o'clock today, but who gets the Thibel minutes? How impactful is it that Thibel's not there? I heard Legler say this morning, the Sixers are in trouble against the Raptors. What are the matchups that we don't like in this series? So we'll break it down, plus what Doc Rivers said last night. We certainly got to go over. 
really quick on the Thibel point as well. Don't you think also the, the it's Thibel's presence as forcing the other team the game plan? Like when you see Embiid and Thibel on the floor, don't you as an offense look at that team differently than if Thibel isn't on the floor? Yes and no. I mean, he's definitely the best defensive player they have. But again, I, I feel like he's not a great on-ball defender. Mm-hmm. He just gives them the ability to. I think he's very good in anticipation in the passing lanes. He gets, you know, he gets tips. He gets blocks. He's the one guy on this team that can start a like start a fast break. They did, you know, Ben Simmons was so good at poking, getting a steal, you know, and starting the transition. They're a horrible transition team right now. And a lot of that's because they're not a very good on-ball defensive team. They don't get a lot of steals. The one guy that does is Thibel. Now, Thibel's different than Simmons is that when Thibel gets a steal, he doesn't dribble and take the ball himself coast to coast. He's got to get the steal, and then he generally is looking to get it to somebody else. Correct. You know, whereas Simmons would get a steal, and he'd just go coast to coast and take it himself. People forget the Sixers were a really good transition offense. They were really good from getting from point A to point B and getting up and down on you. Now, not so good. Thibel's the one guy that gave you that ability. I find this matchup to be a little bit concerning for a couple of reasons. Danger Will Robinson, is that what you're saying? Toronto is very good on the wings. That's their specialty. Mm-hmm. The Sixers, not a good wing team. Correct. This reminds me a lot of the Boston series in 2018, I guess it was. The year they beat Miami in the first round, and then they played Miami in the second round. Excuse me, played Boston in the second round and got waxed. Yeah, they had the one game they won because of that T.J. McConnell game. Right. The McConnell game was the one game they had that they won, but... Ultimately, Boston just kept throwing wing players at you. And they had no answer. And the Sixers just had, it was, think of it like this. Matisse Thibel is probably a better, slightly better defensive version of Robert Covington. And when Covington was the lone wing defender that you had, you simply were not good enough. Correct. So I don't know, if I say, Josh, match me up. Who's got Siakam? The Sixers do not have one guy on their roster to defend a guy like Siakam. No, and the problem is is that you have, and I'm, I'm going to just name names here, I think part of the problem is that you have these two guys who, quote-unquote, play the position opposite of Siakam and Harris, Tobias Harris and Georges Niang, who are just not good on-ball defenders against a guy who's a great offensive on-ball player in Siakam. Yes, yeah, Siakam is a huge matchup problem. Much like if you play Boston, Tatum is a better player than Siakam is, but same problem. You don't have a guy who can match the length and athleticism. Those guys have length and athleticism. The Sixers don't have a player that has length and athleticism. Correct. That guy's in Brooklyn, and the other guy now doesn't have a vaccine. So... You do not have a player that can say, all right, we're out on the playground. Who you got? Oh, I got him, Siakam. We match up. No, Mm -hmm. you have nobody there. You also don't have anybody to really – I mean, Fred Van Vliet, a lot of people, you know, he's kind of an unknown guy. Sixers just don't have anybody to run with him. Not a zilch. He is a tough matchup for them. 
he is the kind of guy that has been a tough matchup for the Sixers over the, the, the whole run of this thing. Why? Ben Simmons being six foot ten, the one type of player that he had problems defending was the undersized ball handler. Correct. And Fred Van Vliet's one of those guys where he's only like six foot one and he has the ball a lot. Simmons just didn't have the foot speed or the quickness at six ten to stick with a guy like, like he has problems with Van Vliet. Teams that have smaller guards, the Sixers always had problems with. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyrie, obviously, big problem. You saw nights where, um, who's the guy down in Charlotte now when he was with Boston? Terry uh, Rozier. Oh, Terry Rozier. The Sixers, Terry, Terry. Yeah, the Sixers had problems with him. Undersized guards that can put the ball on the floor, take the ball to the basket. They don't have anybody. I mean, I'm imagining if you're looking at, all right, who's defending Van Vliet? You going with Maxi or you going with Harden? I mean, I would just tell Maxi and hope for the best. Because I mean, Maxi gives a, at least gives you an honest you an effort. effort. Exactly, you're that, not that is, sure you're getting that from Harden. I'm glad you brought up that word because that's the phrase I used over the weekend on Friday and Saturday, Mike. And that is, I feel like a lot of times I watch Sixer games and I can only count on three guys to give me an honest effort each night. I feel like most of this roster is either on cruise control waiting for the playoffs or they they just take defensive you know possessions off. Well, Harden we know is not a good defensive player. No. And the, the stupid part is that when Harden gives effort, he actually is okay. The problem is there's a lot of times I don't think he's given an effort or he's injured. Yeah. It's, it's got to be one of the two. Harris... He's become a better defensive player, but he's no shutdown guy by any stretch. There's a lot of times that Harris is looking for the rebound more than actually playing defense. Right. So here's a problem the Sixers have. If you watch Gary Trent Jr. the other night, he's a guy that most people don't even know who he is, Mm -hmm. right? He scores almost 20 points a game. Yeah. So I would imagine you're going to have James Harden on Trent. You're going to have Maxie on Van Vliet. You've got Siakam. This is a losing proposition already. You've got, right, Siakam, who plays most of their center minutes, which means what? You've got to play Embiid on him, right? And Embiid, when we saw them play the Raptors the other night, he's out at the three-point line defending Siakam a lot. Which, because, takes, which takes away his ability to be a rim protector. Correct. He, they're pulling him from the basket. The other two guys, now Van Vliet, I think only played against the Sixers in one game this year. They haven't even had to really deal with him. Uh, Ananobi is another one who did not play in the game the other night. I would imagine he'll be ready to play. Um, he's Saturday, a, he's yeah. another guy. He scores 17 a game for them. So he's another wing player. Well, the Sixers are out of wings. I mean, you're going to have Danny Green, I would imagine, on OG. Danny's going to be tired by the end of this series. And, and then Scotty Barnes, another guy who averages 15 points a game. I mean, they just come at you with wings in droves, man. He averages 15 a game. So now you got a mismatch for Harris because Harris just doesn't have anybody. To, he, he doesn't have the foot speed to keep up with Ananobi or Burns. Correct. Or Barnes, excuse me. So you've got matchup problems against the Raptors in the worst way all the way across. And, you know, when they come in. So this comes into what we were talking about or what Doc Rivers Last night, which was absolutely asinine. I mean, Doc Rivers, listen, you know my feelings on the coach. But what he said and the way he handled that last night was an embarrassment. He should be ashamed of himself. 
how he handled that question last night. First off, he's a lion sack of you-know-what, all right? Let me explain this for you, and I'll slow down. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This was Doc Rivers last night. He was asked a question by Derek Bodner, a very fair question. Rivers' answer, if I was the owner of the team, I'd call him in and say, are you kidding me, dude? Are you kidding me? They should be embarrassed the way he answered this question last night. Take a listen. With, uh, with how much DeAndre has struggled defending on the perimeter, is there any regrets maybe not playing uh, Paul a little bit more earlier in the season well, to evaluate? Let me clarify this one more time for everybody who struggles with this. When there's a small lineup, I'm going to say it's slow so we can all pick it up. We'll play smaller with Paul. When there's a big five, you play bigger with DJ. Do we all have that now? Up until the last three games, yeah. that hasn't been the case. I'm asking, what do you think beneficial Up until the last more? three games, look at who we've been playing. Sure. Just look at it. They've had big fives in. Okay, so against big fives, uh, because of fouling, sure. we like DJ. Do you understand that? You we have a whole coaching staff who, I'm just going to guess, knows a little bit more. And they watch every game. They watch every practice. We believe against Big Five, DJ is good for us. We believe against Smalls, Paul. Could we play Paul with a Big Five? Yeah, you could. You may get in foul trouble early in a playoff game, which could swing a game. I've been around a long time. Trust that. All right, that's Doc Rivers last night. Derek Bodner was the reporter who asked him the question. All right, he said, if you notice who we're playing him against, it's teams with small lineups. Fine. Well, they just played. They just played Indiana the other night. They just played Toronto the other night. Toronto throws Siakam at you, who is 6'9", playing center, and presses Achua, who's the backup center. He's 6'8". So that's two guys in that. So you're telling me, based on what he said, that Paul Reed's getting these playoff minutes, right? Because I, I can't believe a single word he said. Well, at this Reed point. did play 11 minutes in the game against Toronto the other night, and Jordan did not play. One game. And that was the one game. So Bodner's question is well, yeah, up until. Hey, Doc, you've played 82 games. Paul Reed's appeared in how many of them? Right. Now. Since the trade, you want to go back to the trade. We can that they played Minnesota that night, right? You go from Minnesota to the end. You find a team that has a small a, a smaller center, and in those games, I, uh, Miami has a smaller center. Paul Reed played one minute. The backup center in that game was Paul Millsap. Now, you could say, well, he's a small guy, Millsap. We went small against them. The way he answered that question, he should be ashamed of himself. It was very degrading in the way he answered right. it. We're not going on the Paul Reed uh, something tour. What did he say? We're not going on the Paul Reed uh, championship tour. We're trying to win a championship here, he says. Right. How about acknowledging, you know what? This kid has come in. What the, did you see his numbers last night? He was phenomenal yesterday. Phenomenal, you're being, you're underselling him here. He played well, yeah, last night. Phenomenal, I mean, come on. 
He played 21 minutes last night. He had 25 points. He was a plus 30. A plus 30. He played 21 minutes. He was 12 of 14. He had six rebounds. He had four steals, a block, and 25 points. Now, you're telling me. Now, I get it. They're playing Detroit last night. Not a good team. It's still an NBA team, though. It's an NBA team, correct. Now, the day before, I was at the game the day before. They played the Pacers in that game. Now, Pacers, another team, not that good. All right? They're not a very good team, the Indiana Pacers. In that game, you had Paul Reed come in that game, and he played 11 minutes. He scored eight points. He had five rebounds. He had four steals. He has, like, nine steals in two games. Why? He's active hands. He's in the passing lane. Mm -hmm. The rebounds. He's four for four from the field. He's an efficient scorer. Does he foul? That's the problem. The problem is he fouls. He had five fouls in 11 minutes against the Pacers. Guess what? I don't care. I only need him to play eight minutes in a playoff game. If he goes in and gets two fouls, so be it. You want to play... DeAndre Jordan, because you're saying you like him against bi- the other team's bigs, he gives you nothing. Nothing. He's giving you Zippo. Zero. Nada. Nilch. You can't tell me. See, sometimes when you're the coach, you go in there saying, if we play DeAndre Jordan, I know what we are. We're a team that's simply not good enough. But I got a guy in Paul Reed or Charles Bassey, who's hurt right now. I don't know what those guys can give me. Because I haven't seen them. But Jordan, I know, is not good enough. So you know what? If we really want to win an NBA championship, we might have to do something that's uncomfortable and play some guys who have better potential that I just haven't given the opportunity. So to answer the question in that light, Oh, the coaching staff has seen the tape. We watch more tape. Then your coaching staff is blind and 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 <laughs> ill-equipped. They're ignorant. It, I, I said this the other day. I cannot come to terms with the fact that that entire coaching staff is on board with this. That's the thing I've been there asking. There is you, yeah. no way. There's no way that this coaching staff is all on board with this. And second of all, at some point, like you said earlier, Mike, the owner of this team has got to tell Doc Rivers, Doc, you you cannot be the coach of this team and answer questions that way. Yeah, I, I definitely think the situation of the way he answered that question, which is a fair question. Hey, have you liked what you've seen from Paul? Have you liked what you've seen from Paul? Oh, we're not going to go on the Paul Reed victory tour here. How do you think that young man feels? The guy went out there and played his ass off. And his coach goes out there and minimizes the fact that the young man in the last two games has been far more productive than the veteran player who's taking his minutes. And guess what? He's handling it like a pro. He's not sulking. Maybe behind the scenes he is a little bit. I have no idea. But for the coach to be asked a question, hey, what do you think about this kid who plays really well? Now, they played the Pacers. Um, couple. When was that game against the Pacers? Was it Tuesday? They played the Pacers on Tuesday. In that game, Jordan played nine minutes. Reed DNP. So what happened? 
what happened miraculously, Doc? That because I'm speaking slow enough that he should be able to understand my question. What happened in the Pacers game on Tuesday night that Jordan was the right matchup and then you played him on Saturday? What happened? What was different? Answer me that. Because I've been doing this a long time, asking questions, and I pick up on the trends. I'm wondering. I see Jordan nine minutes on Tuesday, and then miraculously on Saturday it changed. Right. How did that happen? What happened? What was different? Right. What was different when it's the same exact team? Same team. You said, look what happened with these teams. Look at the matchups. Right? Look at the matchups. That's why he's playing. So when we play a team that has small ball centers, we'll go with Paul. A team that has a bigger center, we'll go with DJ. Well, you play the same team twice within a week. One game, you play Jordan in the game. The next game, you didn't play Jordan. Sounds to me that the answer you gave me is not genuine. That's what it sounds like. Sounds to me that the answer you gave is not a genuine answer. 609. 403-0973, 609-403-0973. By the way, they played the Raptors. They played the Raptors back on... um, It was recently. It was in March. I think I was on vacation. They played the Raptors on a Sunday, the 20th, it looks like. Yes. And in that game, now we know Precious Achua who's their backup center. He's like 6'8", Siakam 6'9", right? And in that game, Jordan played 11 minutes and Reed played three. Same team. Small ball center. Why not small ball guy? What changed? What has changed? You said when the teams go small, we'll play Paul Reed. Well, in March... On March 20th, you played the Toronto Raptors. You didn't do what you said. And by the way, Jordan was a minus 10 in 11 minutes. He gave you nothing. Gave you nothing. 609-403-0973. Look, there's many reasons that we can kind of break this down and talk about the coach's impact. There's one right there. When the coach is so stubborn that he's not giving his team the best chance to win. Because as I say, we blame the coach too much. If you don't have the best players, it's hard to win in this league. But it doesn't help when you're not playing guys that give you a better chance to win. That's where the coach has an impact. By the way, speaking of coaches, Wildwood's Frank Vogel expected to be fired today by the Lakers. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your spring break getaway now. Create memories to last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from AC to Boston, San Juan, and Miami. Book your low-cost flight at spirit.com. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. I want to hear from you, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. More Sports Bash on the way. Mike McGarry today at 240. Stick around. Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 232, Tim Legler at 3 o'clock today. 
Another chance for you to qualify to pick your trip. Eagles road trip. You pick the game. We'll pay for the airfare, the hotel, the pregame party, and two tickets to the game of your choice. Thanks to our friends at phillysportstrips.com and Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. 255 today. You'll get another chance to qualify right here on the Sports Bash. I'm Mike Gill at Mike Gill Show. A lot of text messages, reaction 609 403 0973. 609 403 0973. If you're listening on the free 973 ESPN mobile app, you can message us through the app on your phone. Bob and Egg Arbor City did. He said, first and foremost, second round loss, we'll see Doc Rivers fired, in my opinion. Um, I am kind of on board with the fact that, not that I'm saying I, I'm asking for Doc to get fired. I'm saying I, I'm on board with I think he'd be in some trouble if they don't get out of the first round. And quite frankly, getting out of the first round is no. In fact, I see whatever ESPN, what do they use, some FPI? What's their little formula that they use? Basketball Power Index, BPI. All right, well, they have Toronto with a 52% chance of winning this season, series. So whatever that means, I don't know, but it tells you how close this thing is. 609-403-0973. Mike, Glenn Rivers just completely lost the Philly fans with his arrogant responses. I liked him. Now I don't. All right. That was pretty quick. Fair, though. I mean, I, I feel like that response was See, the worst response he could have given. Well, <laughs> Here's the thing. This is the classic. He was a ball player, so we supported him being the coach. I never was a huge fan of Doc Rivers being the coach in terms of, again, I don't think the coach. Brett Brown, to me, was not their problem. Now, I think Brett Brown needed to be replaced. His voice had gotten old. Correct. But I think Brett Brown is a better coach than Doc Rivers is. I think Doc Rivers probably commands more respect from the players. Correct. That's the difference. But I think as in terms of X's and O's and and drawing up plays and that kind of stuff, in those moments, I think Brett, Brett Brown in 2019 in the series against the Raptors ha- did an excellent job against Nick Nurse. I thought he really made some good adjustments. And by the way, I'm not the lone person who thinks that. There's a lot of people that thought Brett Brown – really did a good job of making the changes and adjustments in that series to get it to go seven games. I think Glenn Rivers, Doc Rivers, is a guy who commands the respect of the players a little bit more. And you're seeing this happen right now in in L.A. Frank Vogel's a good coach. All right? Frank Vogel is my poster child for the NBA coach. Right? Yes, you've mentioned that before. He's in Indiana. He's a good coach. They have a good team. He was in Orlando. I think he won like 50 games and lost like 150 games. Is he a bad coach? No. He had bad players in Orlando. He won an NBA title. Frank Vogel showed I can win and you can win an NBA title with me as your head coach. Now all of a sudden he's the problem in L.A.? No. That roster stinks. Well, he's the scapegoat for the, for the Lakers' dysfunction in the front office. But the problem is... Vogel couldn't command the respect of the players. They did not respect him as the head coach. He's a fine X and O guy. He's a fine coach. He was fine enough for you to win the championship with him. Correct. But when he started to lose the respect of Russell Westbrook, 
uh, Anthony Davis, and some of these veteran guys, he could not recoup from that. Now, all of a sudden, Frank Vogel is a horrible coach? Of course not. Frank Vogel's a fine coach. In fact, I think many people, including this text message here, Mike, I'm confident that Frank Vogel will be the coach of the Sixers next year. The Lakers getting rid of him clearly unjust, and he belongs on a team that actually wants him. That just sounds like somebody who likes the local aspect. And Hey, look, if Doc Rivers... You know not PT texting in? <laughs> if Doc Rivers... Now, he has been connected to the Laker job. Yeah, that report by Jake Fisher was, right? Yes, that he would be a potential replacement for Frank Vogel. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that Doc Rivers got the Laker job and then possibly you would say, hey, we'll take Frank Vogel. But look, Doc Rivers, think about this. Tell me what you like about this Sixers team. You like Embiid. Okay. You like Maxi. All right. You like Harden when he's playing at the level that you know he's capable of. Has he exceeded expectations, not met expectations, or been below expectations? I think he's been below the average Sixer fan expectations. Okay. Tobias Harris. I think most Sixer fans were done with him. All right. Uh, Danny Green. I think most Sixer fans don't care that Danny Green's on the team. Okay. Matisse Thibel. I think half the fans love Thibel for his defense. I think the other half of the fans hate the fact that he has no offense. Okay. Pick a guy on the bench. Have a blast. I think most Sixer fans want to see more of Shake Milton. Okay. I think more Sixer fans want to see more of Paul Reed and less of Paul Millsap. So essentially it sounds like you like two and a half things on this team. Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and partial credit for James Harden. Right. How many games is Doc Rivers supposed to win then with two and a half pieces that we like? I don't think he gets to the NBA Finals, that's for sure. That's not my question. He's won 51 games with a team that you just said, well, I like Embiid and I like Maxi. Other than that, eh, I don't think anybody cares. How do you win 51 games like that? Because he's a horrible coach. So if there was a good <laughs> coach here, how many games does this team win? You're telling me this team has a 70-win roster? No, not at all. Of course not. Of course they don't. So I'm not sitting here blaming Doc Rivers. What I'm saying is his answer last night was outrageously preposterous. It was unacceptable. Yeah. So I'm not sitting here as the person that's sitting here saying Doc Rivers has done a terrible job this year. Quite frankly, I don't know how the hell they won 51 games with this roster. But what he said last night is unacceptable. He should apologize to that reporter, by the way, and all the reporters for that condescending answer. That's how you should start these playoffs off. Guys, I said something in the last game. I apologize. I want to give that young man credit for the way he played for us over the last two games. Maybe I should have looked into playing him some more. And if the time comes in the playoffs, I know Paul Reed will be ready. That's how you handle it, Doc Rivers. What did he say? I've been here before. You can believe that. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. On the other side... We'll ask Mike McGarry. Who does he have more faith in, the Sixers or the Phillies? That's next. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Ten minutes till your next chance to qualify for Pick Your Trip. Right now, Mike McGarry from the press of Atlantic City. Who does he have more faith in, the Sixer run or the Phillies making the playoffs? 
Phillies, of course, 2-1. They'll play the Mets tonight. A big early season matchup up at Citizens Bank Park. Phillies and Mets, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City set to join me right now on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Michael, what's up, man? Hey, Mike, how are you? Well, Phillies, Mets, early season. You know, the Phillies and the Mets play a lot in the first, like, three months of the season here. These these early Phillies-Mets games could actually hold a little bit more weight. Yeah, they're big games. You hit it on the head. Uh, the Phillies and the Mets play 12 times before Memorial Day, and then their last series together is in August. So the Phillies will not see the Mets uh, the final five, six weeks of the season. And if you just do the math, you know, six teams make the playoffs in each league now. Uh, three division winners and the next three teams with the best records. You know, it, it's pretty understandable that probably two teams from the NL East will make the postseason. But three is a different story, especially the division that I think is going to beat itself up a little bit. So, uh, yeah, key games tonight, even though it's only game four of the season, uh, you know, these games are big. And as Joe Girardi often says, the division games in April count as much as the ones in in, uh, July, August, and September. Yeah, we got uh, a little bit of a glimpse of the lineup this weekend. Opening day, they pounded out nine. Saw the bullpen help them out on Saturday for the 4-2 win there. And then the bats went a little silent yesterday. But give me a takeaway from the first weekend. Well, I think, you know, optimism would be the take that I have. Uh, You know, the the lineup is going to hit. There's no doubt the lineup is deep. They hit Friday. They hit Saturday. Yesterday, they hit the ball hard. Uh, They just hit it right at people, leading to one of my favorite phrases of all time. Often when you ask a baseball player what went wrong in a game, they shrug their shoulders and just say, hey, that's baseball. And that's their excuse. You know, uh, I wish I could use that in all aspects of my life. Hey, why'd that go wrong? That's baseball, you know, and shrug your shoulders. (laughs) But, uh, you know, optimism because of the lineup. And also, Mike, I was impressed with the starting pitching. Nola was good for six innings. He kind of lost it in the seventh. Uh, Kyle Gibson, of course, was fantastic on Saturday. And even Eflin, you know, going four innings yesterday, uh, healthy four innings yesterday. Now we'll see what Suarez and Wheeler have tonight and tomorrow. But, you know, I I would say optimism coming out of the weekend. I mean, I think they're going to be a fun, at at the very least, because of the way they bash the ball, they're going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, Phillies met tonight. Walker versus Suarez. Schwarber, Realmuto, Harper, Castellanos, Hoskins, Gregorius, Segura, Bohm at third today. Veerling in center, that's your starting lineup. All right, Mike McGarry, let's go over to the Sixers. Last night, uh, they win against Detroit. No no uh, help because Boston won as well. Sixers, four, they'll play the Raptors. Let's start with that matchup. Four, five, no Thibel because of the vaccine mandate. Uh, probably the worst possible matchup for them. Yeah, you got no Thibel right in Toronto. You, you're playing a team that you went one and three against during the uh Regular season, you got a team that's young, athletic in Toronto, a team with probably a better coach. You've got James Harden, who has looked cooked the last two weeks, and even when healthy, has a, you know, a resume of disastrous playoff experiences. What can go wrong in this series, Mike? What can possibly what could go, go wrong? wrong? Right. Let me start with right, this. Right. Let me start with this. Uh, Thibel can't play. Green started the game in Toronto. Then he started the last couple of nights, too, with no Thibel uh, or with Thibel back. I would imagine even in the home games, are you starting green? Yeah, because I would want to keep my rotation pretty much the same, and I don't think you can can take Danny Green and play him 28 minutes one night and play him 14 the next. I think you want to get him in a groove 
So I think you want to commit, and they obviously have, towards the end of the regular season, commit to a rotation where you have Thibault come off the bench and Green in the starting lineup. That, to me, makes total sense. All right. Last night, we saw Doc Rivers. Were you there last night for that? Uh, No, I wasn't. All right. So he gets into it with Derek Bodner, it sounded like. Uh, on Paul Reed. He's asked, why not Reed earlier? Are you happy with what you've seen? And he gives you a smug answer, which I thought, I really think that he should be reprimanded by the team. I think the ownership would bring him in and say, you cannot give an answer like that. That being said, um, is he being sincere with that answer? You know, it, it's hard to tell with Doc. I mean, you know, the the thing that I get out of the Doc Rivers press conferences lately is Doc Rivers' number one job in a lot of press conferences seems to be deflecting blame from Doc Rivers for what's going on and, and setting up Doc Rivers in the best possible light. I think there's no doubt that maybe Doc is feeling a little bit of pressure here because if things go wrong in this series, I don't think it's going to work out well for Doc Rivers. So I think he's under the gun going into the series and like i said you know we're kind of getting the doc rivers now that kind of who lectured us during the playoffs last year about how we didn't appreciate ben simmons and how you know if we suggested taking ben simmons out of a basketball game because he couldn't shoot foul shots that meant you knew absolutely nothing about basketball and then five days later doc rivers was doing exactly that taking ben simmons out of a basketball game because he couldn't shoot foul shots so uh you know i i don't put a lot of credence in, in a lot of what Doc says. I think a lot of it is just, Well, you know, when he says it the way that he did, I'll slow down so you can understand me better. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's just not, you know, uh, not a professional way to answer a no. question. And at any press conference where, you know, you're with the, uh, with reporters and stuff like that, you know, I always come to the point where there's no reason for it to get sarcastic or snippy. We're talking about a basketball team, for God's sakes. Well, you know, I, and, and who the who the backup center is going to be. We can handle those questions uh, like adults. Well, basically. on top of the you fact, you, you said Doc Rivers is doing a lot of deflecting at Doc Rivers to the point where he says, you know, all the coaches, we all know more than you. I would love to hear the other coaches. Now, not a press conference. They're not going to come out and, and, and go against him. But if Sam Cassell and Dan Burke and the other guys in that room, if they all believe that DeAndre Jordan gives them the best chance to win, well, then they got the wrong staff in there. Right. Well, I would I would agree with that because DeAndre Jordan has not looked good at all. But even Doc could have stated the I mean, he just could have said, you know, this is why we're playing DeAndre Jordan, and this is why we're playing him, and give him reasons one, two, and three, and, and giving it, uh, you know, in an adult Oh, he tried, Mike. Mike, what he said yeah. was, well, if you notice, the teams were playing their smaller fives. Well, they just played the Raptors a couple weeks ago. They played the Pacers on Tuesday night and then again on Saturday, and they played Jordan on Tuesday and Reed on Saturday. So... Right there, he he contradicted himself. The last time they played the Raptors, who have a small five, they played Jordan in that game, and Reed played one minute. So he's already contradicted himself twice with the two teams they just played this week. Yeah, and like I said, he has a history of doing that around this time of year. He did it with the Ben Simmons. Remember, the Ben Simmons is a national treasure, and and Philadelphia doesn't appreciate what it has, and, and this and that. And then, you know, after game seven, he's like, well, I don't know if we can win. Uh, an NBA championship with Simmons as the point guard. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of will let Doc's action speak for himself. I certainly don't think his tone last night was correct at all. 
But, you know, a lot of times what these coaches say, I mean, you got to watch what people do and, and not watch what they say. Right. Basically. Well, all right, then. Do you think we'll see Paul Reed be the guy who gets a majority of those backup center minutes? You know, I, I don't. I think for some reason, I just think Doc doesn't trust Paul Reed, and it could be something with the veteran coach not trusting a young player, and that's why he continues to go to DeAndre Jordan. I think it's an interesting question to see what happens, but I just think he does it like a lot of veteran coaches. He just does not trust young players. And it might be, you know, it might be asking a lot of Paul Reed in a playoff series to play 10 or 11 minutes. I don't think you have a good option there either way. Your option is, if it's a close game, to keep him beat out there as much as possible. I, saw. I, I mean, because I don't think you have a better option. I'm not crazy about DeAndre Jordan, Mike, obviously, and I'm not crazy about Paul Reed in, in game six being out there for 12, 13 minutes. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, look, it's not ideal, but to ask Joel Embiid, I think, to play 45 minutes every single playoff game. One of them, yeah, game seven, game six, we need to close out. You got to give me more. You can't ask him to do that the whole series, though, can you? No, no, you can't. But what I, you saw when I tweeted out last night, when I tweeted that, I meant like in a game six or game seven, you might have to put him beat out there for 44, 45 minutes. Uh, you know, that's what the great players in the NBA uh, do. Durant played 48 minutes in the game last week. Obviously, no, he can't do it for seven games. But if it's a game six in Toronto or a game seven, Back in Philly, yeah, I mean, you might have to look at Embiid doing that. Exactly that. And if he can't do it, you're going to lose. Mike McGarry, Press of Atlantic City, Sixers, Saturday night, 6 o'clock. You can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Mike and I will talk more about that series. We'll preview it when he's back on Wednesday. Phillies, Mets, good three-game set. We'll talk about that on Wednesday as well. Mike, appreciate it, bud. All right, we'll see you down the road. Thanks. Oh, there's Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. And, of course, Tim Legler joins me in five minutes from now. But first. I'm looking for caller number seven. If you're out there, 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller seven. You are invited to this year's Eagles draft party where one lucky listener will win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of their choice. It includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. Caller 7, it's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrip.com. Also brought to you by Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Caller number 7, 609 609- 573-3776. We'll see you at Slack Tide Brewing Company, 1072 Route 83 in Cape May Courthouse, where you will get a chance to pick your Eagles road trip. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. 3 o'clock, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. The NBA playoffs start this weekend. The play-in games tomorrow night, Wednesday night, Friday night. John and Wildwood Crest, congratulations to John. He is qualified for Pick Your Trip. We'll see him at Slack Tide Brewing Company in Cape May Courthouse. I'll be there live on the day of the NFL draft. One lucky winner will get to pick an Eagles road trip thanks to Philly Sports Trips. 
and Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. I'm Mike Gill. Tim Legler, ESPN, joins me right now. The Sixers will play the Raptors on Saturday. What kind of matchup is that? Let's bring Tim Legler in and get his thoughts on that and the NBA playoffs. Tim Legler, what's up, buddy? What do you say, Mike? How's everything, man? Everything is good, man. Never a dull moment in this area. You know that. You throw into the fact that I don't know that the Raptors were ever a potential opponent until like the last week of the season. And sure enough, that's who you get matched up with. And man, probably not the one that they would pick if they were given the opportunity. No, it's it's, it's crazy the way this ended up working out. I mean, if you, even if you looked at this a few weeks ago, it just didn't look plausible that somehow Philadelphia could drop down to four and that Toronto could climb to five and to do that simultaneously. Now, for, for the Sixers, you know, it was so razor thin, the margin at the top, and the margin amongst those four teams at the top and the way that they ended up falling into place, Miami, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly, it, it's so razor thin. It could have They could have literally ended up anywhere, and instead they slide to four. And then for Toronto, they go 13-4 and four the last month of the season, and they end up five. I mean, it's crazy the way it worked out, and unfortunately for Philly, it is going to affect them because now you've got to go north of the border and you cannot take your best defensive player with you. Yeah, let's start with that. Thibel obviously said last night, not vaccinated, and he will not play in any of those games. What is the, you know, the, the, the trigger, the ripple effect of that, of not having him? This is already a team that's short on the bench. They went to green to the starting lineup, but what does not having Thibel for three of those games mean? Well, listen, when you start talking about playoff series and you start talking about making adjustments and, and as series go on, you take a guy and you give him the responsibility to go drape an, a, a guy that's hurting you offensively and have no help responsibility and face guard and take guys away and fight over screens and pursue on shots and contest everything and just hound and harass and reduce efficiency. That's what he does. And he, when you talk about guys around the league that can do it, he's about as good as there is. So to think that you won't have him now at different times in that series, you know, on the road, the number of guys he would get to guard and that he could do effectively for long stretches, it, that to me is, is a major loss. I mean, you know, look, he's making some, a couple of corner threes here and there. That's not going to hurt you either because we know that their bench production is not great. It's not going to be great in the postseason. They don't have enough shooting. But that's not even relevant. He could play an entire series if he's out there every night, Mike, and literally not make a shot the entire series and have tremendous value and help you win a series. And there's very few guys in the league you can say that about. Yeah, they have. Uh, and this is a tough matchup because uh, Toronto just throws a lot of wings at you. They, they have a tough uh, roster for Philadelphia. I don't see where you have a good defensive matchup on the floor, in, in, in the starting lineup anyway. Uh, so this is one where they don't match up very well. Yeah, no, they don't. And, and I mean, Toronto's been very confident against them as well. And if they, in particular, they've had a difficult time. Um, and, and Siakam, you know, he's a guy that presents a tough matchup for them. And Van Vliet, who was out here at the end of the year, but will be back. Uh, he's another guy. When he gets hot and he gets into a rhythm, I mean, he can carry you offensively for an entire game. And and that's exactly the kind of player that Thibel can bother. You know, Van Vliet is not particularly long. So Thibel is a guy that can continue to pursue from behind. When he, you know, he goes over those high ball screens, mm-hmm. he can still be long enough to bother you from behind. So you see him out of your peripheral when you raise up for a three. If he turns the corner on a ball screen, Thibel can contract you 
and and be close enough that he can still make a play on the ball as you go to finish something in the paint. He's just a pest. You know, you saw the job that he did on Curry this year when Golden State came in. It was one of the best defensive games I've seen any player have on any individual. And that's what you need a guy like that for. So, look, you can't really overstate it. It's a massive loss. And it's almost surprising to me that a much bigger deal was not made about this, you know, coming out from the, in terms of the Sixers coverage over these last couple of weeks when it looked like, hey, this might happen. And when they asked him the question, Boston and Philly, you know, they didn't answer the question, is everybody vaccinated? They refused to answer it, raised red flags, because I didn't know at the time. I didn't know about any of this. I'm trying to get information from inside the organization. Like, you know, who were they talking about? Is just somebody that's not vaccinated. And so finally we all found out. And I just can't believe that there wasn't more of a, of a I don't know, like almost like a, a panic on the part of the Sixers. Like, hell, we might end up playing Toronto in the first round. And not have this guy because I think it's an enormous loss. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it's if it's quite enough to say, oh, flat out, oh, Toronto's going to win the series. I wouldn't go that far because they still do have Joel Embiid, um, who will be the most dominant player on the floor. But it absolutely now makes to, that to me a coin flip series. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree because the question, like you just mentioned, Van Vliet. What are you going to throw Maxi on him? I mean, Maxi is look. He'll give you an effort, but he's not at that level where he's going to be able to get a. That's the thing. If Thibel's having a rough night at the office, you could still say, "Hey, one possession. We need your best." They don't have a guy that says, "Look, we need the best defensive possession you can give us right here in this moment." That guy doesn't exist. Right? You're going to put what Embiid on Siakam out on the perimeter again, like they did the other night. Yeah, I know. It's a problem. And, you know, Van Vliet is, is one of those guys, like, he, he's surprisingly explosive as a scorer. He strings together these big quarters where he gets hot and he just gets going. And next thing you know, he's got a 15-point quarter. Yep. And and that's the last thing you can afford early in this series. Now, look, Thibault will be on the floor for those first two. So that's important. I mean, I almost feel like it's imperative they win both of those games. And that's the pressure you've now put on yourself. You know, if Thibault's playing every night and you split the first two and you're going up there with a full complement of players for the next two games, you're not quite as worried about it. You think, okay, we're still okay. You don't ever want to lose a home game. But now I feel like knowing you're going up there without him, it almost puts an added layer of pressure on everybody on that team to make sure you get out of there going 2-0 before you head up across the border. Yeah, uh, it's a great point. I mean, you get these two at home, you almost have to get them because you won't have uh, Thibault for two, and you're going to have to figure out a way to win a game up there probably without uh, Thibault. And, you know, obviously, you know, the Sixers have other issues. When we last talked, everything looked great, and that was right after they played Minnesota and the Knicks. And I remember saying, well, you know, you have two bad defensive teams. Let's see what happens. You're on. What has changed since those two games where it was like, wow, look how fast these guys have meshed? What has gone awry? Well, here's, here's, I mean, okay, so here's what it sort of looks like to me, all right? When we first talked, and everybody felt the same way, and it was, they, they, what, they went like five straight, and it just, it, you know, they weren't playing good defensive teams, but they were really seamless in their integration with the two-star players. It was really impressive, the fact that, you bring in this ball-dominant guy, a guy that's got a higher usage rate than any player in NBA history when he was in Houston, and the way that he played, and you bring him in and pair him up with another star player, like you think, okay, this is going to be a feeling-out process offensively, and it just was immediately they clicked. So we all had such high expectations. What I think has happened is James Harden was really fresh 
Okay, he had not been playing. He had a long break. He he came back from that. Obviously revitalized, energized. He wasn't in Brooklyn anymore. And he didn't want to be there. And it was hanging over his head. He also physically got a lot of rest, so he felt good. He had a lot to prove. He came in, and everything went great. And they didn't play great teams. Well, I think what you're seeing now is the attrition on James Harden physically and the toll that playing the way he has played has taken on him over the years. He just doesn't look like the same guy. He And look, if you take a guy that plays the way he plays, and you say, okay, you're, you're 10% less physically, or 15% less physically, less burst, less acceleration, less, less uh, ability to finish in the paint or in traffic. If you just reduce that by 10, 15%, you now have a guy that's guardable. You now have a guy that you can have, make have rough nights. And that's what it looks like to me because his – and you could talk about technical things like blow-by rate and everything else like that. We get these numbers presented to us up here with our research department. And it's true, though. His blow-by rate has come down to earth. He's a normal guy now off the dribble. And he is not finishing in the paint the way that he used to. He's not getting the same calls that he used to get as a result. So everything is muddled now for James Harden. And I saw an incredible statistic the other day. And I've been talking about his field goal percentage, but someone presented me with a number that said, in the last six games... He has two more made field goals than turnovers. Hmm. I mean, that is astounding for a player on this level. And, Mike, I hate to say it, but if James Harden doesn't play a hell of a lot better in the series against Toronto, they are going to lose that series. He has to play great, not here or there. He has to be dominant. Now, Embiid can be the best player and should be the best player in the series. But James Harden can't have these games where he goes four for 15, three for 16, with a bunch of turnovers, and, okay, he gets 20 because he gets to the line a little bit. No, he can't play that way. And that's what it looks like to me, Mike. It just looks like he's not as good physically as he was at his peak in Houston. Yeah, I was there Saturday, and I've seen him in Houston and in Brooklyn, and he just doesn't seem like he has that same explosion getting past you to get you know he used to get past you he could pull up the shot's not there either he can't get that shot he can't buy a three right now no and look there's a combination of things there with that one is what i just mentioned which is look when you are a guard and getting into your 30s that's been utilized the way he i shouldn't even say utilized i mean that makes it seem like the coaches did it so he he chose that style of play that's how he wanted to play Mm -hmm. in houston nobody's ever dribbled the ball more or done more off the dribble as a guard in the history of this league than James Harden did in Houston. So at some point you get up into your thirties, yeah. you're going to start to have less lift. And we, now you're talking about what is his game? He has no mid range game. Okay. James Harden does not get to 18 feet and elevate and shoot over the top with a hand up like DeMar DeRozan or Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard or Jason Tatum, or some of these guys. He does, or Clay Thompson, he doesn't play that way. He is one of basically three things. He's either going to shoot a step-back three, or he's going to shoot some sort of a little floater at about eight feet before the backline defender comes, or he's going to try to get all the way to the rim. That's it. And when you talk about those shots, next step for the floater, the three and the finishing at the rim requires fresh legs and lift, and it requires you to have that vitality, and it just doesn't look like he has it. He's not putting the front guy in his rearview mirror when he goes by him. 
and now everybody has to react to him in the paint, and he makes him a better passer. He's not winning that battle. And then when he goes to a step-back three, it's just not getting there. So I look at him right now, and I'm worried. I'm worried about how he looks. I'm worried about also, by the way, He's never played in a market with this type of fan and media <laughs> scrutiny that he's about to get if he struggles in the beginning of this series. He's never yeah. experienced that. As bad as it could have gotten for him in Houston because he had some bad moments. Okay, have him go four for 15 in the first game of this series and have them lose at home to Toronto and watch what he's going to face. Yep. So the pressure of it and his past, some of his past failures combined with this franchise that hasn't won in 40 years what they just put the franchise through to get him sitting, you know, Ben Simmons at home for two thirds of a year to get this specific player. If he doesn't come up big, it's going to be something he's never even seen before yep. the level of scrutiny. So the pressure combined with the physical attrition puts him in this boat right now. The question that you and I don't know and no one knows is, is there another level in gear because of the adrenaline of the postseason? That will he can kick in and he can rely on to to have better performances than he's had here over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's funny because you said you know he wanted to get here, which he did, and they end up getting him. I said, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm wondering how much he'll want to say, "I want to be here." If the things don't go so well in these playoffs, now that couldn't being, agree more with you. Could right? not agree more, and that's why <laughs> it was first reported he opted in, and then he came right out and said, "Hey, wait a second, I didn't opt in." Yeah, and I thought, to oh, myself, well, on well, that front, smart. on that front. Uh, legs, would you want to be making the decision on whether or not to bring him back? Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. So, look, it almost feels like they don't have a choice. Right? It's almost like where they were with Tobias Harris and Butler. When Butler walked, they couldn't let Harris walk, so they had to overpay to keep him. Otherwise, they lose them both. Yeah, and listen, you can even put that whole statement on steroids with Harden because you're not, you never said about Tobias Harris, look, this guy's going to lead us to a title. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about a guy that you went out specifically, specifically targeted, waited all those months with a two-time All-Star, and you can say what you want about Ben Simmons. The guy was the number one pick in the draft, and he's a 20-something-year-old two-time All-Star who's one of the best defensive players in the league and, and, and collectively made the decision – we're just going to go two-thirds of a year and not replace that talent and let him sit at home because we wanted to see if at some point James Harden would become available as you got closer to the trading deadline. That's what they waited on, and they basically said, this is the guy that's going to be the difference-maker pairing with Embiid to lead us to a championship. And so there's it's, so, it's even more pronounced yeah. with Harden how much they are all in on this move. And that's why I say... I don't think they really have a choice because if James Harden opts in and then becomes a free agent and you don't resign him and you're willing to roll the dice that you can and then you end up not being able to do that, look where your organization is at that point. Uh, they're in an interesting spot, uh, no doubt about it. And if they get knocked out in the first round, you're going to have other problems. Uh, last night, I don't know. I mean, here locally, it's been played and talked about all day. I don't know if on the national level it reached that level, Legs, because I know you had a lot of stuff going on elsewhere. But Doc Rivers last night gave an answer that, for God's sakes, I mean, 
How about just say, you know what? We were really happy with the energy Paul brought us. I mean, the kid had a great game. What does that tell on that poor kid that you scored 25 points in 20 minutes last night and the coach is like, well, we're not going to go on the Paul Reed uh, uh, train here. I mean, what kind of answer was you know, that I'm last gonna be, night? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. I'm glad you brought this up. I did not know anything about what you just said because, like you said, if that seems like that was more locally yep. covered. And I've been obviously – cramming here watching all these games yesterday and preparing for these matchups. So I didn't see that. And I think that that's just absolutely appalling yeah. that any coach would do that to any player and, and immediately like shoot that down. And, like, what is he worried about? Is he insecure that people are going to start clamoring? Well, the for question is ridiculous. The question legs was, look, the kid read what he do last night. I mean, let me get it. His numbers were ridiculous last night. So obviously Jordan's has can't play anymore. I, you know, he's cooked. Uh, Reed plays 20 minutes last night and scores 25 points. He's a plus 30. He's got six rebounds, two assists, and four blocks on 12 of 14 shooting. The question was, hey, are you kind of like wishing that you gave him a chance a little earlier in the season? And he just goes off on, when the team is small, we'll play Reed. When they have a big five, we like DJ. The coaches watch tape, and we know more. He said, and I, he said, I'm going to say it's slow so you get this through your head. That's what he said. Well, that, that, that's, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. And, and I saw it earlier in the year with Doc Rivers when he gave an answer about it. I've earned it. Like, yep. I've earned the right not to be second-guessed. So, look, there's some insecurity here. That's the truth. I mean, the guy won a championship in 2008. He, he has that on his resume. Yes. There's been a lot of postseason failures since. There's been a lot of 3-1 series leads blown. There's been a lot of, of, of people questioning some of the things that have gone on with teams he has been the head coach of. So you have a guy that's a little bit, he's going to come at you defensively yep. if anything is questioned. And I think in that situation, he answered that defensively in a way to say, like, we know way more than you do. Do not get even go down the road of, yes. wow, because we have a thin bench. Wouldn't it be nice if we had developed him a little bit earlier and gave an opportunity? Maybe we'd have another guy in the rotation we could count on. We're not even going to give that any life whatsoever. I'm going to squash that right now. And that comes from a place of being a little bit defensive because, look, I just said it. I was just on the air 15 minutes ago, and I just said it. When you look at this team, and you look at the number of people that have immense pressure on them, and it's not just on the court. Doc Rivers, because of his playoff track record since 2008, Joel Embiid, as great as he has been this year, and I firmly expect you can just pencil in 30 and 15 are going to be his playoff averages, or 30 and 13, let's say, or maybe 35 and 13. Book it. I don't care how many games he plays, whether it's one round, two rounds, conference finals or finals. Those are going to be his numbers. I'm, so I'm, I think I now give him the benefit of the doubt, but the truth is he did not play well against Boston when they got eliminated in the postseason. He did not play well um, in, in, in against Toronto when they got eliminated that year. Um, he had issues physically in that series. So he had to answer the bell pressure. James Harden, obviously, he's had major moments, major moments in the postseason that defied logic. Like what's going on in this guy's head right now that he's playing like this in such an important moment? Pressure. And then finally, Daryl Morey, with what they did to bring him in and, and how this all played out, starting with you know, last summer when Ben Simmons made it very clear, I'm never going to play for the Philadelphia 76ers again. And they waited all this time to get this specific player. He's got pressure on him too. So 
I mean, you talk about a team feeling that it's this group of guys, and that's why it, it's it is imperative they get off to a good start in this series with Toronto. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's playing Jordan. That's his guy. He knows him, but Jordan has not done anything. And here's this young kid who's coming. By the way, he played well on Saturday against the Pacers as well. And the question is, hey, are you should you have given this guy a look? And to give that kind of answer for a guy who has not done anything is just ridiculous. Now, we'll see. Hey, listen, listen, Mike, real quick, just to tag that story. I was playing in Washington at the the tail end of my career, and I was involved in a trade. Actually, myself and Ben Wallace were traded to the Orlando Magic for Isaac Austin. And listen, I was at the end of my career coming off an injury. Ben Wallace basically spent two years riding the bench for us and leading the league in like preseason rebounding every year. And then he never played him because we had Chris Weber and Juwan Howard and George Marisad and Rasheed Wallace. And we had all these guys, and then they traded him, and he goes on to become how many times, fourth, five-time, multiple-time right. defensive player of the year, Hall of Famer. Yeah. And they felt the same way. Like, if, if his name came up, they got very defensive. I don't tell us about Ben Wallace. Right. Like, well, I'll tell you, though. Maybe there's something to it. The kid Bassey, he's given, when he's been given minutes, he's played well. Reed's played well. I feel like both these guys are like Rashawn Holmes. You just gave him away for nothing, and he was an active, athletic guy, and you're playing, you know, Millsap and Jordan, and these guys are giving you nothing. But, hey, hey what are we Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum this up for, for you very, very succinctly because there's so many factors that go into a series, and we know that. There's so many things to talk about with matchups and everything else and coaching uh, adjustments and whatnot. It's very simple. If James Harden doesn't play a hell of a lot better than he's been playing, they're not going to win the series. Facts. Uh, I want to leave with this. I want to leave with this. Vogel fired today, obviously a local guy. Vogel, to me, is an interesting guy. He's in Indiana, good coach. They were a good team. He's in Orlando, bad coach, bad team. He wins a championship, and now he's the fall guy out there. Uh, what, What was the reason Vogel's out? Did the players not like him? Is the ownership a mess? What happened out there? He's a very good coach. He's an even better person. He'll get another job, and he'll he'll be successful in the NBA. There's no doubt in my mind. I think he probably is the most relieved person in the world <laughs> that he doesn't have to coach this train wreck anymore, honestly, because what happens when you put the, that, that brand on the front of the jersey combined with that name, James, on the back of the jersey, it, it, that cannot be a fun existence, okay? It's yeah. great if everything is rolling your way. Yep. As soon as it starts to face adversity in those teams, and the shelf life with LeBron has typically been four years, and that's when everything starts to implode. So I don't think Frank Vogel enjoyed himself for one minute this year coaching this group. I don't think he wanted to coach Russell Westbrook paired up with LeBron James at this stage of Westbrook's career. That just didn't fit. They, 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 they signed a ton of older veteran guys no young legs, no defensive-minded players, nobody that cared about the regular season on that roster. There's no way Frank Vogel enjoyed this experience. He's probably, but what ultimately what it comes down to is LeBron James is running the organization. Jeez. And if you get to the point that LeBron James decides he's not satisfied with how things are going, you are going to be the guy on the chopping block. They've had five coaches now since Phil Jackson stopped coaching. Five. And it's a very short shelf life, a very tight window with LeBron James. And they actually did win one. But now it's further from that than they are close to being relevant. So now you say, okay, well, we're going to make another coaching change. And LeBron can sit up there at his press conference and say, oh, I didn't hear anything about it. Then when he consulted <laughs> me, give me a break. Yeah. So it, we all know what it's about. And it's, that's a very difficult job. It's a very difficult player to coach. And when things are going well, it's great. When, it, when it's not, it starts to go off the rails 
the lack of leadership and lack of keeping guys together. I mean, I watched the end of the season, Mike. I, I called a couple games, actually, that I was at where you know, LeBron's in street clothes, having, a, having just yucking it up, having a great time on the bench while his team's getting embarrassed on the court. It's such a bad optic, and it shows you where he's at as a leader. It's almost like his message was, well, I got nothing to do with this group of losers. Right. This isn't me. And so as a result, you, you, you feel this incredible gloom and doom and this weight of this season. And when it finally mercifully ended, immediately the Lakers are going to make a coaching change to try to let LeBron know, hey, look, we're, we're, we're going to do something to address this. And there's so many more issues uh, beyond Frank Vogel I think it's completely unfair this was laid at his feet. This is not the problem. The problem is their collective health of their star players, the fit of their star players, and a horrible roster construction with no role-playing, young-legged guys that stay in their lane and will go leave some skin on the floor and then let the star players take care of the finesse part of the game. Their roster stinks, and their older players can't stay on the court. They're veterans. They're stars. Uh, Tim Legler, watch him on ESPN all throughout the week leading up to the NBA playoff. The play-ins tomorrow, Wednesday and Friday, Sixers, Saturday at 6, right here on 97.3 ESPN. Legs, we'll catch up soon, bud. Yeah, let's talk some point in the first round, Mike. You got all right, it. there's Tim Legler here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Yes, we'll take him up on that. We'll talk during the first round with Tim Legler. Excellent breakdown of everything there. And he said the Sixers are in trouble. I agree with them. I don't like this matchup at all. And no Thibel, big-time problem. Who's going to get the big defensive stop? Bob Wankel's going to talk some Phillies. Their lineup I gave you earlier today. They're playing the Mets tonight. We'll get into the Phillies weekend in about 12 minutes from now. Jeff Mosher, football at four. Mosher's got a report out there that's kind of interesting. All that and more Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 331 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Bob Wank will join me in a couple of minutes. We'll talk some Phillies with him. Don't forget, listen for Pick Your Trip Sounder going off. At 3.55 today, one lucky listener will win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of their choice. Thanks to Philly Sports Road Trips. And, of course, our friends over at Ernest and Son Old Fashioned Butcher Shop. I'll be live at Slack Tide Brewing. I had a couple of uh, angry Ospreys on uh, Saturday there, Josh. That Wasn't that uh, what you were drinking Saturday night? That Saturday. UFC yeah. 273? I was banging down some angries. Yep. Yeah, man. Uh, that was one of the best fights I had seen in a long time. Now, I said before, my buddy, he said it was the best fight he's ever seen. Anik said it was the best fight he's ever called. Some of them said it was the fight of the year. You have I a problem? I think it's definitely a fight of the year. hyperbole? But I think the best fight you've ever seen, that's a lot of recency bias there. Yeah, I thought it was very entertaining. I thought it was a very, you know, what I liked about it, some people like when they're just guys going toe-to-toe and you're just swinging away. Mm -hmm. But the technicality, you know, of that fight, you saw it all. There was nothing missing from that fight in terms of logistics, in terms of technique, in terms of talent. It, It was everything you could have asked for and more. Yeah, it was definitely uh, it was worth your time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and I, I'm I'm glad that. So I don't know if you saw, but Dana White 
said in the post fight. Dana White said afterwards it was one of the best fights of all time. He also said he was going to pay Gilbert Burns his winnings. He paid him the winning money because he was so impressed with how Burns fought. Dude, Burns, when he was on his back, there was a, I think it was in the second round. I thought Burns won the second round. I thought he got screwed. Yeah, he definitely won the second, in my um, opinion. I thought he won the second round. He's on his back. And um, Kamaev's over top of him. And somehow Burns takes a just a kick to the sternum and blows him back about four feet. And it was a Kamayev didn't stop coming after him. I said, "How the hell do you get kicked in the sternum like that and just keep on coming?" That's who Hazmat it was is, unbelievable, man. Unbelievable, man. It was great. It's great action. The whole card. I mean, I thought um, the the main event was. I mean, a little lopsided. Yeah, Volkanovski definitely outclassed Korean Zombie. Mm-hmm. I I think that John. He's he's obviously you know he's lost a little something over the years. He. When he last fought for the title, it was like, I think it was 2013 against Aldo. So you're talking about almost a 10-year gap between title fights. I thought the co-main event was also an amazing fight. I'm happy for Al Jermaine that he got a win. I know some people thought it was a bit of a controversial decision, but you know, I think that the, I think that no matter who won that fight, people would have been a little, you know, like, man, someone had to win that fight kind of thing. Good card. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. When we come back, we'll talk a little Phils. We'll talk with Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad. He was up in Philly yesterday for the uh, the series finale. That's coming up next here on the Sports Bash. Now, back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, everybody, welcome back. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, pick your trip. Another chance coming up. In just a little while, you get a chance to pick your Eagles road trip. We'll pay for the airfare, hotel, the pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles game of your choice on the road. You get to pick which one it is. That's all thanks to our friends at phillysportstrips.com and Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop. We'll be broadcasting live on Thursday, April 28th. I'll be at Slack Tide Brewing. And I had a couple too many Slack Tides on Saturday night. Bob Wankel's here. From Crossing Broad covers the Phillies. I, apparently, I was uh, seen singing Country Roads uh, someplace with a couple wow. of slack tides. Yeah, that means you were feeling real good, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you play Country Roads, you know I'm going to, I got to belt it up, man. I mean, yeah, it, it just, yeah, it's no like problem. clockwork. Uh, that yeah. Saturday, uh, there was a trifecta over at Citizens Bank Park. You had the Sixers, you had the Phillies, you had the Flyers. Phillies won the game. A two and one weekend against the Oakland A's. They'll start with the Mets tonight. Ranger Suarez gets the ball. Uh, interesting series. We'll get into that. But Bob, just a little overview of what we saw this weekend in terms of what is different about the 2022 Phillies that you've noticed right off the bat, maybe. Well, I don't know. I mean, listen, you know, made the point yesterday uh, covering the game that in 2019 and in 2021, the Phillies actually opened at home with sweeps over the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, I think at the time when we were watching it in, in real time, we said, oh, this team has a different vibe about it. It's it's for real this time. And then certainly it was not for real. So you don't want to get overly caught up in what you're watching just the first few days of the season. But when you look at this team and what's different about it, I think it's what we would have said a week ago. It's that they they have legitimate offensive threats that are proven. You're not wishing on upside. You're not wishing on projections. You're you're 
you're hoping on proven commodities. And I know the offense was was stagnant yesterday, only one run. They didn't score until the ninth inning. But I don't want to make excuses. They hit a ton of balls hard. They hit into outs. It was cold. All of those things. I know some people are actually a little bit put off by their performance yesterday and, and sort of made for a disappointing weekend. I don't see it that way. So I think the biggest difference is the starting pitching, if healthy, I think is pretty good. And I think that you're talking about proven commodities, and that's the biggest difference. Yeah, I think another thing that I heard during the broadcast um, was I think they had gone like 17, 18, 19 innings without walking a batter. I mean, I don't know how sustainable that is, uh, but just like the bullpen has had problems putting free passes on. Um, The bullpen, I thought, at least seemed to have some sort of roles. Now, are they going to be efficient? Maybe not, uh, but it seemed like he at least has a feel of when and where he wants to use guys. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. Now, yesterday they fall behind, uh, you know, after Bailey Falter comes into the game and then you see Damon Jones late. And so that's not the the ideal mix of what you're going to get. But I do think that Joe Girardi, for the most part, when everyone's available, will try to keep, uh, you know, certain relievers in certain roles. Um, and, and listen, I, again, I really kind of walked away from the opening series and said they did what they have to do. You know, people talk about Oakland kind of going through a fire sale. This isn't a very good team. They should have swept them. I just think it's a big ask. Go around baseball right now and, and look at the standings. Uh, not too many teams there with, with an undefeated record right now. It's early in the season. That's going to happen. Um, so, you know, I think overall you step back and say, that's a pretty good start for the Phillies. Well, and I think you kind of look at the first game, the way they won that game. You know, they brought out the bats, the the opening, uh, at bat for Swarbry, it's a home run, kind of sets the tone. Uh, it kind of showed you the depth to their lineup. Then in game two, they got a couple key hits, but the bullpen helped them out in that game. Yesterday, as you mentioned, they go sign a little bit, but thought it was a well-pitched game uh, for the most part from Eflin. So they got a little tale of three different things. They showed you they can win with nine runs. The bullpen helped them. Now, consistency matters. If you're going to be a good team, you're going to, you know, that's, I think that remains to be seen. But I think the depth of the lineup, was what was on display mostly this weekend because every time someone came out, I think the first game, my God, the amount of pitches they looked at, right? I mean, it's just a completely different approach, I felt like. Yeah, I believe they saw over 160 pitches in the first game, over 130 in the second game, and then I think it was only 103 yesterday. Uh, Yesterday they were very aggressive early in counts, especially early on in the game against Dalton Jeffries, the Oakland starter. Uh, I believe in the first four innings they had seven at-bats end on the first pitch. Uh, And, you know, I mean, that's a lot. You know, in 12 of, I believe, their first 18 at-bats ended within the first three pitches. But the reason why I'm not overly concerned about that is because, I mean, they stung the ball all over the yard. And I don't want to get too caught up in exit velocity and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, Castellanos, Harper scolded a couple. Reese Hoskins hit into some unfortunate luck. I mean, they hit the ball hard at times yesterday and it didn't materialize. And the one thing that I would say, when you look at the the depth of the lineup, I agree with that. My main takeaway was how quickly this lineup can kind of combust. You know, you look at the first, uh, or the game on Saturday in the first inning, seven pitches, two outs. Phillies look like they're not going to score in the first inning. Bryce Harper gets hit by a pitch, I believe in the second pitch of the at-bat, And then a pitch later, Castellanos goes out of the yard, three pitches, two runs across. I just think that they have that that ability to put multiple runs up in a hurry. Like, anytime you go through that lineup, there's always a threat for them to do damage. And, you know, there's going to be days where they don't score. There's going to be days where they don't score seven, eight, nine, ten runs. But, 
you know, when you add it all up across 162, if everyone stays healthy, I mean, this lineup, I do believe, is going to meet expectations. Yeah, and if you meet the expectations with the lineup, I guess it takes the pressure off the starting pitching, and which, again, would less lessen the necessity for your bullpen to be so on point every single night. And I think you kind of got a, a view of that in the first game where, you know, the bullpen wasn't great, but you had a little bit of a cushion because the offense was so good. And you should get more of those games, I think, right? I think that the way that you saw it sort of play out on Friday will be how you see it often play out yeah. this season. You know, they, they established the early lead. Then they have in the middle innings that lull where you go, oh, man, I've seen this show so many times before with this team. They're going to find a way to lose this game. And it looks like the momentum's sort of slipping away, but then they add on late. And, you know, I feel like teams in the past, Phillies teams in, in recent memory, have not been very good at the add-on. You know, they haven't been able to halt momentum when it starts to get away from them a little bit. And I just think that this team will, more often than not, be able to provide the breathing room necessary for some of the hiccups they're probably going to have due to their defense, due to the, you know, bullpen, and when Aaron Nola gets tired after 68 pitches. Yeah, I, I said maybe uh, Gabe Kapler knew something on that opening day. What was that, 2018? Yeah, it's amazing, right? So everyone criticizes Gabe Kapler for pulling Nola five and a third on opening day when he's cruising in the high 60s. Fast forward four years later, and people are criticizing Joe Girardi for sticking with Aaron Nola <laughs> for too long. So funny how yeah, that works well, out. It's funny because I had a nice little wager in, and I said, I need the Phillies bullpen to give up no runs in the next three innings here. Like, that's what I'm sweating out. And, and they got it done for me, baby. Um, tell us a little bit about Gibson. I mean, he came over at the trades. So we only saw a little bit of him last year. He's not a 10 strikeout pitcher. That was an excellent performance. But as you kind of hinted at Bob Wankel at the beginning of this conversation, if the Phillies five are healthy, they're pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a guy who was an all-star last year, and he came over here and wasn't great. You know, I thought he was serviceable. He had his moments, but he struggled at times the second half of the season. And, yeah, I think the Phillies, when they made that trade, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an electrifying trade where you say, oh, my God, here come the 2021 Phillies down the stretch. But it was a move made with this year in mind. And, you know, listen, Kyle Gibson's not going to give you what he gave you on Saturday. Don't get used to that. Don't expect that. But when you talk about a guy being a, a an above average number four type pitcher for you, I mean, I, I think he fits that bill. And so when you start to look at this rotation, and and I, I think that this is going to come across somewhat takey on my end, but the guy that I, I truly am the most nervous about is Aaron Nola, you know, like in relation to what's expected of him. Uh, but I think that Kyle Gibson gives you that that solid number four. I think that Zach Eflin gives you that solid number four, number five type of, of performance. And then I think Ranger Suarez is right where you expect him to be, sort of in that middle number three type of guy. But Aaron Nola is the one for me that I go, I just don't know what to make of this guy. I really don't. Yeah, if they can get him right, and that's a big if, uh, that's a pretty deep uh, rotation. Because Gibson, you know, he's one of those guys. He'll give you three good ones, two bad ones, a good one, two bad ones, three good ones, two bad ones. That's what you're going to get from a Gibson. I thought F1, same thing. He's one of those guys. He'll give you two really goods and a two bad, one good, two bad, three good, one bad. I mean, that you're getting that. I think Suarez, we'll see him today, uh, is really the wild card. If he's the guy you got last year, now you really got something different. Yeah, he was so good last year. And, you know, you worry that you're 
almost setting the stage for unrealistic expectations. But, I mean, over 100 innings pitched, and he was one of the best pitchers in the National League, regardless of role. And so I think coming into this season, is it fair to say that he's going to run it back and duplicate his statistical output from a year ago? Probably not. But I really do think that he's a guy with good stuff. He's fearless. Uh, He'll attack hitters. Um, He's not afraid. I think that that's very much evident when you watch him throw the ball. He throws with purpose, with intent. Uh, you know, they like to say, and I I believe that he is a, a very, very uh, serviceable middle of the rotation type of arm. And, yeah. and I expect a good season from him. Eight and five last year uh, for Rangers Suarez ERA of 136. Uh, excellent numbers there. Uh, Walker goes tonight for the Mets. And I know, look, it's early, you know, whatever. But you play the Mets so many times in the early going here. And it's like to get those positive vibes in the division, you know, to start things off would be a big thing. Like the Mets obviously had the big news in the off season DeGrom out. You're going to face this team so many times in the first, like two months of the year where you're not going to have to see him at all. And at the end of the year, when you look at like who wins the division, it's like, Hey, what was our record against the Mets? So this is a fun series to kind of start it off. And the fact that they play the Mets so many times in these first two months is, is really going to be interesting. Yeah, there should be a lot of juice between these two teams. You know, these are two teams that are theoretically rivals. They had some moments last year where things got a little bit chippy. I look at this and, you know, for as important as the second series of the year can be, I would say that this is a fairly important series. I think that the Phillies are in a a spot where not only do they have the ability to take advantage of the absence of Jacob deGrom like you talked about, but I think that almost for the vibe in the clubhouse, maybe even the vibe from the team to the fan base, you know, go out and win this series and show, Hey, we're, we're, we can play with these guys. You know, even, even the most, uh, there are a lot of people that are optimistic about the Phillies, such as myself, who are like, I still think that there may be a third place team and they get that last wild card spot. And I don't think that that's the way that the Phillies should be thinking internally. I think they should feel like we are just as bit as good as the Mets. We need to prove it. And, you know, so from that standpoint, selling the legitimacy of the team, maybe creating some own belief within the clubhouse, I think it's a fairly important series. Uh, a couple quick hits with Bob Wankel crossing broad covers the Phillies. Um, one, center field, Veerling, uh doesn't have a hit yet. I mean, I don't think they're really asking him. But my interest here is you got Moniak out and Odubel Herrera, probably Moniak and Herrera, if they come back at a similar time, is Moniak back? What happens with that? Is Veerling out? What happens in that little center field triangle now? I think they brought Roman Quinn back, too. Yeah, Roman Quinn on a minor league deal. Um, I mean, listen, I think that that's going to sort of work itself out a little bit. I think some of it does have to do with, and I know we're talking about two left-handed hitters that would potentially be coming back. Do you think some of it has to do with how does Matt Veerling perform in the interim? You know, 0 for 8 over the weekend, I believe he had a sack fly and a walk mixed in there, hitting a pretty rough double play in the third inning of yesterday's game. You know, they don't need Matt Veerling to hit 300, but they need to get something from him. And when you consider how bad the center field position was in terms of offensive output a year ago, if you have a little bit of angst over the position right now, I don't blame you. Those things will tend to work itself out. I mean, listen, they signed Odubel Herrera to be on the Major League roster. My guess is that Odubel Herrera, when healthy, is going to come back and play at the Major League level. 
when Mickey Moniak is ready, I think he's going to be a little bit behind Herrera. Um, I think really it's going to be dictated by the performance that we see out there. You know, Moniak, I don't think comes right off the IL and goes to the major league roster. I think that you have to see how he swings. I hate that injury, man. Any wrist injury. injury. I hate a a wrist injury, man. That's, that's tough. And, And it's unfortunate for him because certainly he earned his way onto this roster, but he's not proven enough where you just say, Hey, Mickey, here you go. You're taking down the starts against righties right off the bat when yeah. you consider the nature of the injury that he sustained. So I think that he's going to have to show that he can do it again, at least for a week or so at the minor league level. Yeah, that uh, that was unfortunate. That happened right after we got off the uh, off the air on Friday's show that uh, that news came down. And, of course, uh, you've got uh, – who's the other guy? Oh, Stott had a rough day at the office at third base. But is that more of the ball th- – Three tough balls found him. Not that he can't play the position, or do you have questions about that? I thought all three plays were kind of tough plays, and he's not really a third baseman, but what do, what do you say? It's funny how we sort of excuse. I agree with you, all right? But it's funny no, how no, we sort no. of Well, first off, I'm at spring training this year. Boehm has a ball hit right to him, and he, and he throws it off and pulls the guy out the bag. <laughs> I mean, come on, these three – Listen, all I know is that if Alec Bone was at third base right now, if he was playing third base on Friday and those plays happened to him, you'd be killing him right now. <laughs> I'm not even a Bohm hater. I like Bohm. I, I just uh, wish I don't like him at third. I, I have given up on him as a third baseman. I listen, feel, I'm with you. I'm I feel the team you. did him a disservice by keeping him there. I agree. Listen, those plays by, uh, you know, that Bryson Stott had to make on Friday were difficult plays. I would not read a whole lot into it. That's I truly what I'm saying. Wouldn't. Wouldn't think anything of it at this point. If it continues for a few more weeks and similar plays start to happen, you go, okay. But you're talking about a kid playing his first major league game. These are tough plays to make. Yeah, well, somebody said to me, man, that stock kid. I said, those were – I mean, it was unfortunate. They all were in the same inning. I said, two of the three. The one he dives for and hits his glove. He tries to get up and regroup and throws a little off. The one that he comes up on, I mean, that's a tough play, but it just happened to find him. We're in the business of of being edgy. We want to say things that get people talking, get people listening, right? So it's kind of almost like counterproductive for me to come on here or for me to write like I did yesterday after the game. Listen, it's three games. Relax, you know? Like, let's not jump to conclusions here. Let's not write off Matt Veerling. Let's not say that Bryson Stott, (laughs) he can't play defense. But, you know, you kind of want to come in and have some definitive takes and get people talking a little bit. But I'm very much in the camp of, if you're drawing any meaningful conclusions from three games, I don't think you know the game too much. Phillies, Mets, uh, and of course, we'll uh, wrap it all up. This will be a fun series. Bob Wankel crossing broad, and that's uh, Ranger Suarez, Walker for the Mets. It should be a fun Mets series. Let's get it going tonight at Citizens Bank Park. And of course, uh, we will uh, talk to Bob throughout the uh, season here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Bob, I'll talk to you, pal. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, there's Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad, as we'll be back with plenty more. Sixers have an opponent. Football at four, and you don't go away. But first, I need caller number seven at 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller seven right now. You are qualified for Pick Your Trip. The Eagles draft party. One lucky listener will win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game 
of your choice, which includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips and Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Caller 7 609 573 3776. Caller 7. We will see you at Slack Tide Brewing Company, 1072 Route 83 in Cape May Courthouse, where you may be our lucky winner that will get to pick the Eagles' road trip of their choice. Good luck. The playoffs are coming. I'm prepared. Feels like my whole life for this stage and for these moments. Behind the back to Giannis for the flush. I want to see when they get punched in the mouth during the playoffs. Walker, you bet. How this team handles adversity. The playoffs are coming. The NBA playoffs exclusively on 97.3 ESPN-FM, South Jersey's sports leader. We know sports. Oh, baby, a right-hand game. 97.3 ESPN, WENJ, WENJ, HD, Millville, Atlantic City, a town square media station. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. I think our track record in the last 20 years, how many NFC's titles, playoff appearances, and appearances in the NFC Championship game, those are some of the metrics I look at, and um, I'll compare our record with uh, almost anybody. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. This is Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and it is brought to you by PropSwap, America's sports betting marketplace. Sell your sports bets, take your profit, find out how. Go to PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app today. Congratulations to Dino in Galloway. He's our latest qualifier for Pick Your Trip, one lucky winner. We'll get a chance to pick an Eagles road trip for the 2022 season, which includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. We'll be live at Slack Tide Brewing Company on April 28th for the NFL Draft. That's all thanks to phillysportstrips.com and Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. We'll have another chance for you to qualify coming up this hour on the sports bash. All right, football at four. Jeff Mosher from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast is here. As a lot happening as we are, what, uh, 18 days, I believe, to the NFL draft. Jeff Mosher, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. 18 days away, getting very exciting, trying to uh, ramp up at Inside the Birds, our discussions with other teams, our intel that we're getting on draft prospects, and um, just uh, you know, trying to keep that in full gear. All right. Well, let's start with, uh, I-, I guess, some of the news that uh, you guys over at Inside the Birds are hearing regarding wide receiver uh, Jalen Rager. Um, obviously has not um, lived up to the expectations. And if somebody called, are their teams calling? And if they did, would the Eagles listen? Yeah, those are all interesting questions. Um, I know that some of the blogosphere or whatever you want to call it has sort of taken some liberties with what I reported, which was that, you know, just heard from sources, again, more so doing homework on draft prospects, but then you wind up talking to, to, you know, executives and coaches around the league about the Eagles just naturally. 
just heard that that teams had called the Eagles to see if Jalen Rager was available. Um, so that that's different than saying they're calling up with a you know definitive interest in trading for him, or that the Eagles are even interested in trading him. But I did write a column you know last week that kind of outlined why it would make sense and why teams would you know make that phone call. I mean they have a number one guy in Devontae Smith. They have a, a guy in Quez Watkins that, that Nick Sirianni has said he could be the best number two receiver uh, that I've coached. And then we know they went after Calvin Ridley. Didn't almost happen, but then for obvious reasons, it did not. Allen Robinson, Christian Kirk, Juju Smith, there were various levels of interest there. So clearly if they bring in another wide receiver now through the draft, right, you've got the two guys I mentioned bringing in somebody high in the draft. They signed Zach Paschal. That, that pushes Jalen Rager quite far down the depth chart if you're not a top three receiver you're not a starter and if you're a first round pick you know with that kind of salary and that kind of um billing uh sitting on the bench doing nothing really that's not a good look for both the team or the player yeah i know that you mentioned that you heard teams call the eagles to see if he's available <laughs> do they call and say hey is he available we're not interested or are they calling because they have interest well, I mean, obviously, there's a ton of teams in the league that need wide receivers. So if they're calling the Eagles to see if Jalen Rager is available, they have some level of interest in the in the player. The question is, how much interest do they have? Are the Eagles interested in moving him? Um, what, what price would it cost? All that stuff is, you know, for, for deeper and further conversations that I don't have more intel on. I just know that, that mm-hmm. what I've reported. But, yep. you know, if I'm going to surmise something based on what I just told you, Mike, the fact that if they draft another wide receiver pretty high and it looks like Jalen Rager is starting to get go further and further lower on the totem pole, then you could see why they would feel like they have an opportunity to move him to get something. You know, I'm, I can't imagine they're going to give him away, yeah. but um, you know, there are teams that did have good grades on Jalen Rager coming out of the draft and they might be the team that thinks, you know what, he struggled over there. We'll, we'll bring him into our environment with our quarterback, our coaching staff and see if something changes. Yeah, I guess, and one of the problems for him, too, is um, he hasn't excelled in the other role that he was hopeful to be good in, which is in special teams. And, uh, you know, you look at a situation where J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is on the roster because he plays special team, he blocks. Rager, his special teams has not helped his helped him out either. Right, right. That Those are the, the, the two tenets of that conversation. And then the other one would be the fact that as a second-round pick, it wasn't as cost prohibitive to have Jalen or uh, JJ Ortega Whiteside on your roster, you know, as your fourth wide receiver, because he wasn't making a whole lot of money. And of course there wasn't much demand for him from around the league that people are blowing up the phones that you felt compelled to move him. If you remember, I know a lot of people felt that, that he made the team because he's Howie's second round pick. But if you really put, look at the situation going into last year, coming out of camp, they had high hopes for Devontae Smith, but you don't know until you actually go out and see it, right? And the same thing with Quez Watkins. They knew he had a nice camp, but he had not really shown anything. He had only played a couple of games the year before. So they didn't have any kind of depth to sit there and try to just outright cut J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. So, and obviously, as the year materialized, Devontae Smith played well, Quez Watkins played well. They tried to get Rager to play better. Um, and so Arthega Whiteside had a limited role, um, but you know I can't imagine being on the team this coming year. But you could see why he was on the team last year, as opposed to this year, why they might be able to move Jalen Rager, knowing what they have now and what they may get. Yeah, and uh, you know, 
you mentioned Ridley, Allen Robinson, you know, some others. They have been in the market to try to find an upgraded team. They brought Pascal in already. So I guess the question would be, you wouldn't be shocked if they were still looking to find someone. I don't want to say they're trying to get Rager out of here, but you wouldn't be shocked if they found another guy that would necessitate him not being needed. Sure. I mean, not no. How could I be shocked when I know, just as you do, that they were in on Calvin Ridley and almost had that happen? And then, of course, the other guys that we mentioned and the fact that, you know, I, I don't think anybody would be surprised if on day one of the draft or day two early that they come out with another wide receiver. And if they do that, they're going to want to get that kid every opportunity to play. Yeah. And, um, hey, look, Rager has not worked out. With that, we know J.J. Ortega-Whiteside has not worked out. The one thing I will say, I I was having a conversation with a listener about this before. You know, they'll say, oh, they'll just screw up the pick. Well, are you you saying that Devontae Smith can't play? Uh, Because Smith seems like a guy that they drafted and can play. Watkins, while he's not a star, has not been a total bust. In fact, he's a sixth-round pick that – you have gotten some production from. So just because they missed on two guys doesn't mean they should uh, never be able to pick a wide receiver again. No, I would agree with you. I think there's a healthy degree of skepticism about who they pick, but at the same time, um, you can't not pick a guy who's that high on your board uh, if you're if you're in you know unilateral agreement, which is always a big key with the Eagles, uh, that, that that's the guy to, to pick in that situation. Um, real quick, while we're talking wide receivers, uh, Devin Allen, an interesting story more so than someone could, that could probably help them out, or am I wrong about that? Do you think what, – what was – how did I said he's that again? Mo- probably more of an interesting story over someone that could actually help them yes. out. Yeah, I mean, he has not played football in, what, six years, I think it's been. Um, He's been doing the Olympic hurdling thing. Apparently, he's great at it. That's awesome. Um, But we have no idea, you know, can he run all the routes? Is he just a speed guy? Can he catch? You know, it's been been quite a while. Um, (laughs) I talk about that healthy degree of skepticism. Jeremy Bloom was an Olympian skier uh, when they drafted him, I think, in 2006 in the fifth round i believe um and that did not work out well at all uh some people have drawn that comparison i joked about it on twitter i don't really think it's a it's a true comparison but i mean it was clear that jeremy wasn't able to make that transition uh from skiing back to football so you you just wonder about the long layoff we there's a lot that we don't know about Devin allen about what his abilities are as a football player Mm, you're just a guy that can run yeah i mean this is i don't even think this is sort of jordan maialata comparable because even though Jordan had never played football and was a total project, he was very young, right? And and he was like a piece of clay that Jeff Stoutland was hoping to mold. Um, I think this guy would be very, very, very lucky to even make the practice squad. We'll see. I mean, maybe they, they like what they see in training camp. Um, but I think this is just the ultimate kind of project camp body type of signing. And let's see, let's see what we got there. All right, let's look at a couple of other things. They lose Rodney McLeod. He signed on Friday. He'll go to the Colts. He started 13 games, 58 tackles, broke up four passes, two interceptions, but really went healthy. Uh, he's the leader of that defense. It's really, you know, them kind of moving past Malcolm Jenkins, Rodney McLeod. That group is gone. Uh, so what kind of safety replaces Rodney McLeod? What do they need to, to fill his shoes now? Well, first of all, let's let's not put the cart before the horse. They need to replace it and replenish this position. And it's easy to say, of course they will. They have to. But they're in danger of treating safety 
the way they treated linebacker. We know those are both positions that this team does not value necessarily with, with high draft picks, first and second round picks. But at some point, the Eagles, when they won the Super Bowl, had at least signed Nigel Bradham as a free agent. He was a pretty good player. They had put a second round pick into Michael Pendrick, Kendricks. They had put a third round pick into Jordan Hicks, who worked out, right? So they, they were, it was after that that they really started to further devalue the position to the point where last year you're, you're talking about every single guy, whether it's Edwards or Singleton or even Duke, Duke Riley from a year, they're all like undrafted guys or, or project guys. Right. So the Eagles can't do that because right now what you're looking at with if they had to play a game today is Marcus Epps, who's our real. We like Marcus Epps. The team likes Marcus Epps. He can run. I mean, he flashes when he's out there. But by the same token, he's he's a he was a rookie free agent, undrafted guy. I'm pretty sure out of Montana. He was first with the uh, the Vikings. And then they've got Anthony Harris back, who was just an average safety for them last year and who himself was an undrafted rookie many years ago. So if this team doesn't replenish this area, I mean, and obviously they have Kevon Wallace, who they p- picked in the fourth round, but it really hasn't even shown them that he belongs out on the field for any extended time. So they can't sit there and be like, oh, you know, we'll be fine with a safety in the fourth and the fifth round because or undrafted guys like we do at linebacker. I really think that this is a position that they have to address in the first three rounds. I don't say force the issue. I'm not saying draft a guy who stinks just because he's, you know, a safety, but there's got to be a point on their board where they've got a safety and another position like that guy, like they're, they're kind of closely rated. They believe they're both really good players. Go with the safety if it's a tie. All right. Well, what about signing a safety? There's been a lot of smoke around Tyron Matthew. And, uh, you know, what about going down that route and bringing in a veteran safety? So there's, I, I get why they feel like they're in a rock and a hard place here. Teron Matthews is really interesting. Um, we've been reporting on Inside the Birds a couple of weeks ago that the Eagles had had discussions about him, about potentially signing him internally. You know, how would he fit in the defense? He can do some things. But uh, I don't know if you saw the Kansas City Star article written by, I think, Sam McDowell, who had a sit-down with Teron Matthew recently. Um, the story came out over the weekend. And Teron said he was heartbroken by not being offered a contract by the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, that's big. It's not that he's heartbroken that they gave money to somebody else, although he is, they didn't offer him a contract. Yeah. All right. So um, I know per, I know just from my own reporting from from chief sources and other sources who've watched his tape that the feeling is that he's not the player that he once was, which is natural. He's he's thirty years old and and on the other side now, uh, it doesn't run the way he used to run, which was a big part of his game. Uh, but I think it's pretty telltale that the Chiefs went in a total direction where they didn't even try to resign him. And they were able to get Justin Reed. And I know that the Chiefs in general felt that they were getting a little bit more out of that position by getting Justin Reed, who's going to come into the box and, and play a little bit more physically than Teron Matthew. That's never really been Teron. Teron's a cover run, blitz from the edge, and he's done it great. I'm not trying to knock the guy. So if you're the Eagles and you know you need to replenish this position um, with young, dynamic talent, and you know that Teron Matthew is looking for multiple years. In fact, in the story, Teron Matthew said, at the end of the day, I would have been annoyed, but I would have accepted the same deal that Reed signed with the Chiefs. Well, that's that's still three years and $39 million. It may not be what he wanted originally, mm-hmm. but that's still a pretty penny and more than one year. So that's where I imagine the holdup is right now. If, if the Eagles or any other team would be willing to give Teron Matthew two years, yeah. I bet you he'd be signed right now. Yeah, um, but I if mean, it's going to be one year, 
it's going to be a lot of money, Mike. It's, I mean, I don't know if this is like similar to the Steven Nelson thing where he's just kind of out there waiting for someone. Nelson wanted a lot of money last year, and no one was willing to do it, and he just kind of sat and sat and sat until finally it was almost what situation's best for me. Right. And maybe Teron will do that. Uh, you know, he's a CAA guy, I believe, or a Condon guy. And um, those guys have a, a special knack. No matter how long they wait, they still wind up getting either their money or close to their money. So yeah. I do think – I don't think Teron Matthews is going to wind up signing a one-year deal for $8 million. You know what I'm saying? No, but you're right. But I'm saying he might have to take the two-year deal like you're saying as opposed to a three-year, $40 million deal. He might have to settle for, for one less year. And, you know, I mean – Right. You're right. Is he the same player? No, but if he's the player that he was, he's the type of player that Eagles have lacked at that position. A guy who is known more for playmaking ability than he is for, say, tackling or that kind of stuff. Right, and the Eagles are in a predicament where they may think in their minds, well, we want to draft a young safety, and we don't want to be locked into a veteran guy who might be on the downside at the expense of a young safety that we want to play. So now they could still they could play that young safety and Teron Matthew and say, I'm sorry, you know, just like they did last year with Eric Wilson, they could say Anthony Harris in the middle of the year, you know, we need to move on and, and put the other guy in. But you're still paying a lot of money to Teron Matthew. And I think that they're, you know, I think they've learned in the past, like say from the Namdi situation, that when a guy starts to really, you know, lose it as a runner, maybe and he's not doing like he'd still definitely be an upgrade of what the Eagles have, but is he worth is the valuation worth the evaluation there? Is the money that we're going to pay him, even for two years, worth what we're going to be getting in return? He He's a guy who could play in the slot, right, as a safety, um, being versatile. But the Eagles have Avante Maddox. They don't want to take Avante Maddox off the field. They don't want to give Teron Matthew that job and tell Maddox, who they just signed for a decent amount of money, you're on the sideline here. So what are you going to do with Teron Matthew? He's, he's not going to play in the box for you. He's going to play the post because Anthony Harris is your box guy. I was going to say, why Harris over McLeod? That's a really good question. Um, that one I probably have to kind of dig into a little bit more um, and find the answer to. Uh, in the, at the end of the day, I'm not sure. Sh- I, I feel like they're on the same level a little bit, but Rodney has meant so much to the franchise and Rodney is definitely more of a post safety, a deep safety and, um, Anthony is a box guy. Maybe they felt like Rodney just couldn't, you know, run the way they needed from a post safety. But Anthony can still come up in the box and and tackle and do the things you need him to do there. I mean, it could be a price tag thing. I, I don't know what the. I know they both signed one year deals, but maybe they were able to get Anthony at a at a little bit less money than Rodney got from the Colts. I, it's a great question. At the end of the day, I think neither of them really solved the Eagles' issues of needing a, a, a young, dynamic, playmaking, versatile safety. Uh, I guess uh, last on the list here, uh, Matt Corral, five teams, Eagles, one of them. Starting to hear, are you starting to hear more Eagles around some of these quarterbacks? I feel like Malik Willis' um, name has coming up. Now they're meeting with Corral. We know they went out to dinner with Pickett. Doing due diligence, I know. But at the back of your mind, is there some thought that quarterback could creep in? Yeah, I don't see it in the first round. But you, you listen, they, when they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round, they said, we put more emphasis on the quarterback position than anyone else. We're willing to take a guy that we see as a backup in the second round over other positions. Then they went and got Gardner Minshew last year, and people thought even that was a little bit crazy because they had Jalen Hurts. So they tell you time and time and time again 
that they will do homework on quarterbacks every single year, whether they got a franchise one or whether they're not sure and they're still looking around. So nothing about their their um, actions this offseason surprised me. Now, the dinner with Pickett, as I understand it, was just with the offensive uh, quarterbacks coach, Brian Johnson. So it's not like the old uh, Fargo dinner with Carson Wentz where Jeffrey Lurie and Doug Peterson and everybody in the team. And like you could just see it playing in front of your eyes that that was going to be the the pick. Uh, so I don't want to. I don't want to equate one situation to another, but they are going to do all their homework on quarterbacks, no doubt. Okay, uh, check out the latest Inside the Birds podcast where Jeff and Adam go deeper into the pros and cons of the Honey Badger and uh, some wide receiver possibilities, and they take a deep look at the history of picks 15 and 18. You can check that out wherever you get your podcast. The new Inside the Birds podcast dropped this morning with Jeff and Adam. Adam is here tomorrow. Jeff will be back on Wednesday, getting closer to the draft. All right, can't wait. Jeff Mosher, take care, pal. All right, bud. Good talking to you. All right, Jeff Mosher, InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. We have another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip coming up at 4.55 today. Josh has headlines on the other side. Also, Paul Hudrick on the Sixers and the Raptors and the Doc Rivers last night. That's coming up at about 4.45. And then uh, the 5 o'clock hour, we'll dive into the series. All the NBA playoffs, the matchups are set. Play-in games tomorrow night. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Don't forget... You could travel with the pros at Philly Sports Trips. If you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports road trips, it's time to check out the full trip lineup at phillysportstrips.com. Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Hill. What's up, everybody? Good to have you with us. Sports Bash reminding you... The Caesars Sportsbook Report is giving a feast to new users. And by feast, I mean a $200, $250 Uber Eats gift card. Here's how it works. Just bet $50 on your first bet. And win or lose, you'll get $250 digital gift card for Uber Eats. Make sure you use the promo code RADIOEAT. That's one word, RADIOEAT. You must be 21 or older, physically present in New Jersey to win. New customers with eligible promo code only, real money wagers only that have minimum odds of minus 200, $250. $250 gift card redemption code and step to redeem the gift card will be sent via email within 72 hours. Uber gift card terms and conditions apply. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Caesars Sportsbook. Downloaded people. Josh Henning is my producer. It is time for today's headlines. Let us see what is happening in the world that I may have missed. What do I know? What do you know? What did I miss? <laughs> well, as people may know, initially, over at 973ESPN.com, Frank Vogel is no longer going to be the Lakers coach. Yes. Now, apparently everyone and their cousin is deflecting on this issue. LeBron, to the media today, basically said that the roster changes are not his decision. And if you believe LeBron, he basically found out about Vogel and everyone else did. Mm -hmm. No one told him about it. To which later, Rob Polinka told the media how great of a guy Frank Vogel is. But he's not going to talk about that this time. But he says that roster decisions are his responsibility to fix. 
Well, everybody here, this this organization is a disaster. All right, this is supposed to be one of the premier franchises in sports. This is a disaster. Rob Polinka has no business being the general manager of a basketball team. He only got the job because he was Kobe's agent. He was Kobe's agent, and they made him the GM. All right? Jeannie Buss is essentially still going through Magic Johnson, not to mention going through Kurt Rambis' wife for yes. basketball information. I think what Legler said on our show before was perfect. Vogel is probably thrilled to get out of here. He'll probably end up, I, I, although people say he'll, uh, Woj said the same thing. He'll get another job if he wants one. This would be his fourth job. Sure. That's a lot. I mean, to be a head coach of four different teams, I mean, you're you're getting a lot of opportunity. What time? How many times does the opportunity? He's a young guy, too, Vogel. He's not like he's a guy, like, in his 60s. Well, see, Rick Carlisle right now is on his fourth job, right? Because he nah, actually would. Okay, does he, let me ask you a question real quick. Rick Carlisle was previously head coach of Detroit, Indiana, then Dallas. Now he's back in Indiana. So you got that as his fourth job or his third? Well, he's had four. He's been in Indiana twice. Right, he's had four chances. Okay. Three different teams. I just want to make sure we're counting. But Vogel, he was in Indiana, then Orlando, then L.A. I mean, you're going to say that this is a guy who's going to be a, a coach of four different organizations. Hey, maybe he's a, like the modern-day Larry Brown. Maybe, but look, <laughs> I, I say this a lot. To me, NBA coaching, the coach gets way too much blame. Vogel is the poster child for it. I don't need to explain it again. Vogel is a good, solid coach. He's not a difference maker, but he's not why the Lakers lost. NBA coaches aren't the reason why your team isn't where you want it to be. Frank Vogel is exhibit A, B, C, and D. He's been in three places, and they've done exactly what they should have done. You know, one time I was talking to an NBA executive, a guy who worked in a front office. Mm -hmm. And he told me the NBA coach should get you. In other words, if you have a 45-win roster, the coach should get you 45 wins. If you have a 55-win roster, the coach should get you 55 wins. If the coach somehow gets you a 55-win roster and gets you to 65, that's when you like have some guy who is special, that he can exceed the rosters. But you're not going to get a guy who's a 35-win roster and he's going to get you to 50. You know who did that one time? Jeff Hornacek with the Suns. Seriously, they had a terrible team, and he got that team. But Jeff Hornacek wasn't a good coach. He got hired by the Knicks and was terrible, and he has he's not even in the league anymore. The NBA coach, and Vogel's a guy. Look, this is... You know what is I love about our area and I hate about our area? Okay? Right. <laughs> a lot of people, Philly guy, we love the Philly guy, we love the hometown guy. If Frank Vogel got the Sixers job, great. But let's not give Frank Vogel the Sixers job because he's from Wildwood. If he's the best candidate, great. But I have people, oh, Vogel's the guy, get rid of Doc. Doc Rivers and Frank Vogel each have something in common. They both won a championship. And both have been fired multiple times. Jeez. <laughs> oh, man. Can I bring up another basketball coach for you? Uh, Yeah, Sacramento. No, uh, St. Peter's. 
Oh. St. Peter's is hiring Wagner's Bashir Mason as their next coach. The deal is being finalized today, according to ESPN. Mason replaces Shaheen Holloway, who is now at Seton Hall. For those who don't know, Mason was previously, when he was hired at Wagner, the youngest coach in all of college basketball back in 2012. He has gone 165 and 130 in 10 seasons as Wagner's head coach and has won more than 62% of his conference games with three conference coach of the years in the NEC. That's interesting. Now, I saw Eddard went to uh, Bryant. He signed with the Bryant Bulldogs, so he transferred. I'm wondering if the rest of those guys are going to follow suit. Three guys entered the portal. Correct. I only saw Eddard signed uh, with Bryant. He's the only I didn't one see I anybody else sign yet. Yeah, so I'm wondering if that hiring is enough to get them to come back. It's very interesting that they went with a guy who... I mean, for Wagner to St. Peter's, is that really a step up, or is that maybe just a change of scenery? It's a good question. I was thinking that when you said Wagner, I guess it's a step up from Wagner, which is... They're in the NEC. Yeah, I would think that the MAC is a small step up from the NEC. One small step Who up represented the NEC this year? Uh, Are they even a Division One team, Wagner? Yeah. They've been the conference. Been the Who conference. won that conference? Um, let me look it up just real quick here. Because it says Wagner finished second in the conference this year. Yeah, I don't remember who represented the NEC in the tournament this year. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking it up right now because it's not readily available in this article I got in front of me. <laughs> well, whoever won that tournament, the men's tournament for the NEC... I, I mean, I don't even remember. That's how. All right, it was Bryant. That's who won. So, so Bryant after, beat Wagner in the finals. So now Wagner gets the coach. From- I, I would say it's a lateral move. I don't know the guy's background though. His background is uh, he was youngest coach hired. He replaced Dan Hurley at Wagner, who at that time left for Rhode Island. Mason had played under. Hurley in high school at St. Benedict's in Newark. So Maybe he's, he's a Jersey guy. He's a Jersey know. guy. Well, Wagner's in Jersey, isn't it? St. Peter's is more Newark area, though. Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. Okay. Did you see the story about Rob Manfred? Yeah, that he sent the Bose headphones. Yeah. Did you see the the note he left in there with the headphones? Yeah. I mean. I get he's trying to, like, <laughs> I get what he's trying to do. I'm not going to blast him for it, but it's like, really? Is that, hey, we had a knockdown drag out. We, we delayed the season by two weeks. Here's some Bose headphones. Like, you don't already have your own pair. Can I read you part of the statement? Sure. Being a major leaguer is an extraordinary accomplishment that beyond your remarkable talent is your dedication to this great game. Along with our clubs, I'm committed to working together with all players to grow the sport. I'm excited about the opportunities that lie ahead, and by working together, we can bring this game to new heights. Please accept this gift as a small gesture of my appreciation for the hard work that comes with being a major leaguer and your respect for our incredible fans, Uncle. Hey, listen, it's better than nothing, I guess. Am I going to rip the guy for giving them something? Wayne, Adam Wainwright, when asked about the headphones, told the St. Louis media after the game, quote, to just put it bluntly, 
he doesn't do anything for us. <laughs> I know that's how it's going to read. So, Commissioner Manfred, don't take it personal. That's just how I look at it from a player's perspective, unquote. Hey, at least he, again, he did something. <laughs> I just love the response by Wainwright. He's just like, don't take it personal. I would have liked to have seen the reaction <laughs> of the players when they had, like, a box sitting on their stool. Oh, what's this? You know? <laughs> now, if Rob Manfred bought headphones for, you know, his his kid's baseball team, you know, at, like, a local high school, that'd be probably a lot cooler, but... Right. <laughs> I, I could not uh, get that one. I'll squeeze in one more for you. So... As you may or not know, Scotty Scheffler won the Masters. Yeah. But, Mike, he's not the favorite to win the next major. Why would he be? The favorite right now, the betting odds favorite to win the next major is actually John Rahm. Yeah, John Rahm's been the favorite in every single. Just because you win the Masters doesn't mean you're automatically the favorite. I think the story here is, though, I thought you were going to go with the fact that Tiger has already announced that he is going to play in the Open Championship. Yes, at St. Andrews, but he has not said anything about the PGA or the U.S. Open. Right, but uh, the fact that he's already come out and said that, yes. Now, he fell apart on, on Saturday. He was terrible. Yeah, he kind of shot a couple 76s. Yep. Rough weekend. But he did say he is good. So this isn't just a, a token appearance by Tiger. You're going to see him in some of the bigger events, the Open. We'll see what else happens there. Uh, obviously, Scheffler, he ran away with it. It was a very uncompelling Sunday. Uh, there was the one Smith had a shot, and then he got within, like, four strokes or something, and yeah. then he ends up the next one. He kerplunks one in the water. Yeah, he had a uh, three bogey to yeah. one hole. By the way, you know who actually had an amazing round? Did you get to watch any of the Masters where McElroy and Morikawa were going shot for shot? Oh, dude, that was all. Morikawa dude, that shot, was nuts. Morikawa was shot out of the dirt, out of the uh, out of the beach. There was uh, the sand, I guess. You know, yeah, it was immaculate. Trap. It was unbelievable. And then the next shot by Roy on the next the next <laughs> next hole. Yeah. And he just pumps his fist, and Morikawa comes in and jumps on him. Like they were almost like pushing each other, like up this, bro. Yeah. Good it was job great. though by Scheffler, not uh, you know, he, he didn't ne- he never made it an event. Yeah. He had the whole thing. He owned it. Good for him. All right. uh, Doc Rivers said something yesterday that is ludicrous. We'll get the opinion of Paul Hudrick when he joins me next to talk a little Sixers here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, 5 o'clock hour here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. It's brought to you by my friends over at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. You know, I've been telling you for a couple of weeks now, if you have allergy issues, I can help you with that. Actually, my friend Dr. Paul Lewis can help you with that. I can't do it, but he can. And I know because I went and saw him and I don't have allergy problems anymore. The allergies are gone. It's a simple, easy procedure. You're in, you're out. It's no more than a half an hour. You're in there. If you are sneezing, runny nose, if you're somebody who is allergic to dog hair, cat hair, shellfish, red meat, ADD, autoimmune disorders, all of these things can be fixed by someone like Dr. Paul Lewis at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. Give him a call, 856 285 
4788 to start feeling better. Get rid of your allergies. Allergy elimination. It is a brand new world for people like me out there. Oh, I can breathe. I don't have runny noses when I go to sleep at night. I don't wake up in the middle of the night with all those type of nonsense anymore. Whew, it is a beautiful thing. Go get your allergies checked out. He could take care of them. All right, let's get into a lot of stuff. Phillies uh, tonight against the Mets. We've got uh, the Sixers got an opponent now. Doc Rivers last night, kind of a condescending. Um, yeah, okay, well, we'll get into that as well. Ryan Rothstein is the host for of the uh, Philadelphia City cast. You can get the podcast each and every day. And he joins me right now. Uh, as we hash this one out, normally, uh, you know, the playoffs are here. We don't have a game until Saturday now. So now everybody will look at what happened over the weekend. The Sixers won a pair of games, but I think Doc Rivers last night will be talked about almost all week here. Let me slow this down for you here, Mike. Do it. All right. You're, you're, you're not slow, quite partner. as smart as me. You know, I'm I'm better than you. I'm better than everyone, and I know – so much more than everyone else. So um, let, let's just keep that in mind when we discuss everything 76ers over the next few segments. I mean, my goodness, dude. Where do we start with this, MG? Like, this is. Now, where do we start with this is good. I don't know. I mean, like, let's just go right to Doc. Okay, right? let, me, let's go. Let, let me ask you a couple questions here, okay? okay. I, I want to give, because you know my feeling on the coach, all right? Yeah, you think it's the most important aspect of <laughs> basketball? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, the, the poster no. child got fired today, by the way. The poster child for my conversation got fired today. Frank Vogel had no no business being fired. He had nothing to do with why that team stunk, all right? So here's what I'll ask you about Doc. I'm going to go through the players on this team, all right? And you tell me whether they excite you, don't excite you, meh, all right? Okay. Joel Embiid. Yeah, he excites me. All right. James Harden. <laughs> he excites me. <laughs> Tobias Harris. Um, he's, he doesn't really excite me. He's sort of just there. All right. Danny Green. No, does not excite me. Matisse Thibel. No, he doesn't excite me. Maxie. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got my blood up a little bit. Yeah, okay. blood pressure. Uh, Milton. No. All right. DeAndre Jordan. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Corkmaz. No. Okay. Um, am I missing anybody else that's a rotational player? Niang. Niang. He's, I like him. Yeah, I like Niang. Okay, so he's like a half a point. Yeah, he's like a half point. All right. So theoretically... You got one, two, three, four, five, six and a half pieces that you're eh about. There's only three pieces on the whole team you like. The guy won 50 games, 51 games with this roster. What did we expect from this team? We ex- I don't know what we expected. I think that's a good point. Like, and that's what if that, that, that's the toughest part about this season so far. Not tough, but we didn't know what the expectations were. And this sort of is a big piece of my argument when I say Joel Embiid should be MVP because 
people bring up Jokic and no Jamal Murray and no Michael Porter Jr. Well, look what Joel Embiid had to deal with entering this season and early on in this season with the Ben Simmons story lingering over his head and no Ben Simmons and this rotation and roster and now inserting James Harden. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, what's the grade on on this season? It's probably at least a B or B plus. Right. Well, and that's what I say. Look, I, I, do I think Doc Rivers is great? No, of course I don't think he's great. But what? How they won fifty one games? How many wins did you think this team was going to get with Niang, Milton, Corkmaz, DeAndre Jordan, Willie Cauley Stein, um, Tobias Harris? And the rest of the guys that you said, nah, don't excite me at all. I mean, there's only three guys and one just got here. I mean, Harden <laughs> is one of the few guys you do like, and he's not even playing up to expectations. So they really have two players on the whole team that you're like, I yeah, I like that guy. How many wins did we think this team was supposed to They have 51 wins. Well, let, let me ask you this, too. Yeah. And this is, the, this is the tough part about this Eastern Conference right now and really just the 76ers team isolated if we're just talking about them and dissecting them I, I think you and I would agree that this 76ers team can lose against the Raptors yes. but you and I would also agree for lack of a better way to put it we wouldn't be surprised if they came out of the east is that well, fair that, that, that's you know we talked about this a couple weeks ago My, with James Harden and Joel Embiid you have two players that if they made it to the final like you could say the ceiling is the finals. My expectation isn't that they're going to make the finals, but I could see a path to get there. I right. could not see that path without them getting hardened. That being said, I think it's a long shot for them to make the finals. I didn't see any shot of them getting to the finals in, until they got hardened. Right. And, and I would agree with you. So with that being said, if we can agree and acknowledge there is a potential Regardless of you yep. know the odds and the likeliness, there is a potential what is the, for this uh, team. What are the Bet Rivers odds for this series? Do you know? It's actually they're not posted yet. I just finished my recording for today's episode. They have game one odds. The 76ers are four point favorite at Bet Rivers. Okay, I saw uh, competitors was they, they were minus two thirty five. Two thirty five. Yeah, for the, okay. to win the series. To win the series. Right, right, right. Um, so my, my my point is. If we can see this team getting out of the East and actually in the NBA Finals, then where does Doc Rivers and his responsibility and role truly lie right now as we get ready for round one? Uh, it's a fair question, and I think because it gets magnified in the playoffs now, where especially where you're playing, like, okay, Nick Nurse... Everybody thinks he's a good coach, right? He, that, that's the thing is he's a good coach. He gets the – like, all right, just because we feel like the six, the Sixers in our minds can make it to the finals based on really two things. They have Joel Embiid. Most times he's going to be the best player on the floor. And when that yeah. happens, your team has a legitimate chance to win every game because you have the best player. If you get the best version of James Harden, you have two players that – should win almost every single night. The problem that I have with this team, more so than I do Doc Rivers, is the rest of the team isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. And this is the same problem they had before. It wasn't a Ben Simmons problem. They had Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, two All-Stars. Well, the problem was they the rest of the team wasn't good enough. Yeah, that's part of it. But it, it was, there was a Ben Simmons problem I, in, in my mind, but it wasn't only on him. Well, I think we're starting to see now... 
that maybe it wasn't as much of a bet. We're still having spacing issues. It's not, well, I mean, James Harden shoots, and yet they're still having spacing problems. You know, so everybody's like, well, and doesn't shoot. If he would shoot, you wouldn't have these spacing issues. James Harden shoots, and you still have spacing issues. Yeah, but it's just a, it's a different type of issue. Like, for me, it's just different. Uh, it doesn't, it, like, just because there's issues now, I can't look back on the Ben Simmons era and say, well, you know, then Ben was great. You know, it, it was it was a different time. It was a different type of sinking ship, makeup. as you alluded. Yeah, just a different makeup of the team. I agree with that. Yeah. Like, the problem I have, like, do I think Doc Rivers is some excellent coach? Not necessarily. The guy won a championship. Why? Because he had great players on his team. He doesn't sure. have great players right now. He has one elite player. He has another player who has been an elite player who's not playing elite. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, you look at James Harden's numbers, 21 games right now at the 76ers. I don't have them in front of me, but I did remember seeing it. You know, he's a, he's averaging like 39.9 minutes per game. He's averaging like 21 points per game. He's averaging 10 and a half assists, eight rebounds. I mean, like his numbers are pretty damn good. And I know that always doesn't tell the full story um, because he can still be four for 16 and put up a 20 spot, whatever it may be. But it, it, the pressure is on Doc right now because the bottom line, you have Joel Embiid and James Harden, and that should that should get you a series win against Toronto. I know it's not a favorable matchup. No one likes the matchup. You should still win this series in six or seven games. Like, like honestly, no, all agree. the concerns have, aside. Look, Toronto, Toronto uh, Legler was on earlier, and I think he said a bit. They're a pest. You know, they're a yeah. pest. They're a pain in the ass. And yet you still haven't beat and Harden. They should be the best two players here. You should win this series, right? The problem yes. is you've now handcuffed yourself because you're not a good defensive team and you're in a bad defensive matchup and you've lost your best defensive player for three games. Yeah, at least, yeah, three games. You know, games three and four, and then we'll see how far the series go. It goes after the first four. But so how do you, you know? I, how I do, do you coach this series knowing I'm going to lose this guy for three games? We're going to have to play completely different. Essentially, you're going to have to play. Mm. Who gets the Thibel minutes? It's Danny Green. Yeah, but right? you're going to play Danny Green for 35 minutes. Not 35, but you're asking who's going to be the starter. It's going to be Danny Green. Well, Danny Green's going to be the and starter. Then, I get that, but. Thibel was playing, what, 25, 28 minutes, something like that. Green, you going to yeah. play green that much? No, I mean, then you're going to have to go to Shake Milton, you know, and he's been getting minutes, and you have to hope that he provides a spark off the bench offensively. Um, you know, and, and but that's where this conversation, it falls on Doc Rivers. Like, I understand it's out of his control that you don't have Matisse Thibel, but back to what we were just saying, you're still good enough that Matisse Thibel is not a legitimate excuse. If the Sixers lose this series, I am not going to point back to Matisse Thibel as the reason they lost. Is it a factor? Is it going to be an impact? Sure, of course. But they should still win this series without him, right? So what are we talking about then? Well, we're, as, we're as Legler said, similar. He said, look, if you end up losing this series, it's not because you didn't have – you might lose a couple games because you didn't have Thibel, but in the end – James Harden has to be James Harden. Otherwise, you don't win. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, James Harden and Joel Embiid have to be dominant. And you're going to have to have a night from Danny Green where he makes four or five threes. You're going to have to night for, have to have a night from Tobias or Maxi where they have 25 points. That's going to have to happen yeah, to get no, him a win. Yeah, oh, uh, no question. I, I definitely, you know, I look at this. Van Vliet, to me, is a, is a, is a tough matchup because Maxi's not a great defensive player. He gives an effort. 
but he's yeah. not great. And Van Vliet can score in a var- variety of ways. Mm-hmm. You've got Ananobi, who didn't play the last time they played. I don't know who defends him. They got, like, four guys on this team that score, like, 15 points or more. So it's like every night somebody different could be the pain in the ass. Yeah, and and this team, they can switch on everything. They're long, they're athletic, this, uh, and they're very well coached. They remind me a lot. Not as good. They don't have a player, but they remind me of the year they played Boston, and Boston just had all those wings, and you had Covington. That was, like, the one guy you had. And, <laughs> and they T.J. Just, McConnell. Yeah, and, like, they just went after you all on the wings. And then the Sixers tried to get wings in the offseason, you know, and they just could They were just not athletic enough on the wings. I said, who is Tobias Harris going to defend? <laughs> I, he's going to have to defend someone. Right, I Barnes, mean, whether right, it's Ananobi or Siakam at times, you know. I don't, yeah, but there's there's mismatches all over the floor. For all sure. over the floor, right. You have a situation, right, where you're already probably going to have to ask and be to play more minutes because your backup center situation is a disaster. Mm-hmm. And... The last time they played, Siakam's out at the three-point line. You've got Embiid having to go defend him at the three-point line, which takes him out from under the basket, which also now makes him have to do more lateral work, more running around. You're going to have Embiid following Siakam around for 40 minutes a night? No, I mean, that's not a recipe for for success. And listen, even if you don't put beat on Siakam, they're going to be able to do pick and roll to get the favorable matchups that they want. They're going to go find Embiid and and pick and roll his guy to death uh, so they can get Embiid out on the perimeter. Uh, and, and I mean, that's basketball 101, regardless if it's Embiid or not. So, listen, game one and game two at home, you have to win both of these games. You have to treat game one like game seven and then game two like it's game eight. You know what? Whatever. Like you have to, you have to take a two zero lead in this series. Yeah. Have to. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a terrible matchup. Um, but again, I go back to this point of it, it, big picture. We're all everybody is. It, it, look, the Sixers have put the fans through a lot. I'm not debating that at all. You, you lose for three years, uh, a lot of long times, and they still haven't been able to get out of the second round. And here we are looking at a, a matchup where you're like, I'm not even sure you can get out of the first round at this stage. Um, there's a lot of pressure on a lot of guys here, right? And, and and being the coach, I think last night, that response he gave Derek Bodner was the realization of we're stuck playing the Raptors and this ain't a good matchup for us. I mean, I look at it as, I agree, I look at it, I'll take it a step further, as just Doc is, Doc is, is the, the heat under his seat is, is turned all the way up. And I don't think Doc has been handling this city and the media and the fan base and the pressure that comes with this job right now very well at all. I don't think he's ever experienced anything like this. And he's at a point in his career at, the, at his age, whatever, um, where he's just... He doesn't have the patience for it, and he doesn't have the right mindset for it. How does that impact the locker room, right? Like, I don't know. It, it Does it mean nothing? Legler said I, this. I find that hard to believe. There has to be some sort of impact behind the scenes with how Doc is leading this team. There yeah. has to be. Well, and, and look, I, I said before the Harden trade, you know, Doc was getting a lot of heat. You know, the coach this, he doesn't do this. But I said, 
for them to be in play for the number one seed without Simmons all year long, I don't know how the heck they were still. I don't know how. Like realistically, they should have been in the bottom half of the East, don't you think? Well, I mean, you you had a you had an MVP playing seventy games. No, the MVP is in the West, and they're a six seed. Right, but they're they're a fifty win team, you know. Yeah, but like realistically, yeah, because because. Uh, Phoenix is so far ahead of everybody, it makes it look like they're so far out of it. But, yeah, Philly and Denver are about the same. They're a six, you're a four. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had Joel Embiid playing with, like, basically Maxi for the whole, like, for the, like, they far exceeded, I think, people's expectations. Well, then what, then what are you, what are we saying because of that, right? Like, like, like I, look instance, at, I look at a team like Toronto. Toronto, I think, is a perfect example. With Nick Nurse. Don't you give Nick Nurse... I mean, I give Nick Nurse a ton of credit. I think he plays a huge part in this team being dangerous because they change things up. They change defenses up. Mm -hmm. They know their identity. They go zone. They go matchup zone. They go trap. They go 1-3-1. He's got the personnel to do those things, though. He's got such an athletic roster that he can implement more things. What can... Seriously, what can... with With the personnel this team has... What can they – they're not athletic at all. So what can they do with this roster that we – you have the challenge of Embiid that's such a unique player on the offensive end that kind of – we talked about it last week. Maybe he's part of the spacing problems because he's such yeah. a unique challenge. And then defensively, you just don't have the athletes to play these, these exotic switching defenses that Toronto can play. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not an NBA coach. I do, like, I, I was listening to uh, Paul uh, Hudrick speak here before I jumped on, and he threw out like an idea of playing Paul Reed alongside Joel Embiid. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Will it work? I don't know, but let's let's find out. You know, and and I saw numbers with this team offensively with Harden on the floor and Joel Embiid off it. You know, they're scoring points per 100 almost as much as they're scoring with Joel and James on the floor. And that's because of the problems that gets presented with Joel on the floor. So, like, I don't know what the answer is. Play Niang a little bit more. Do Niang and Harden pick and pop a little bit more. Go match up zone and throw the Raptors' athleticism off a little bit more. Like, there are things you can throw out. It'll be interesting to see Niang in these playoffs. I was talking to Paul about him before, and he said, well, listen, there's a reason why Utah didn't want him back is because playoff time, he had a lot of challenges for them in the playoffs. And I wonder if a guy like Nick Nurse is going to find ways to go after a guy like Niang when he's out on the floor. You know, like, who, who would you say in your mind? Like, if I said the playoffs start Saturday, Doc Rivers could be the coach or Frank Vogel. <laughs> who would I rather have? Yeah. Right now, I'd rather have anyone. Uh, can you go coach Saturday? <laughs> then Doc Rivers. I got a couple. I, hate exo- the man. I got a couple exotic defenses. I know you do. You change things up. My yeah. goodness! Like, I asked that question because to me, Vogel's a good coach, right? The problem yeah. he had in Los Angeles isn't that he's not a good coach. It's he didn't have the respect of the players, and I think that Doc has the respect of the players, and that's why they are where they are. This is not 
a 51-win roster. It wasn't all year long. When you add Harden, okay, that changes the dynamic. But for them to be in place to win 51 games, I got to give them credit for whatever's going on behind the scenes. I think they respect him as the coach and the voice in that room, and they have a good staff, right? So I think that's part of it. But when it comes to him being a difference maker, no, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think you're – Brett Brown, for instance, in 2019, I thought he had a really good series against the Raptors. He changed that series and got it to seven games. He made that adjustment. They made the change where they put Embiid on Siakam, and that changed that series around. I thought Brown made some good adjustments in that series. I don't – Me too. I think that – Rivers is just so stubborn, and he relies so much on him being the voice in the locker room as Mm -hmm. his coaching technique. I don't know that he adds anything else. It's a problem. That's a problem. And and the history shows it's a problem. Like, this is not just the, the craziest coincidence or mystery of all time when it comes to NBA playoffs. Like, I I've been posting this audio clip of Phil Jackson back when they played the Doc Rivers Celtics in the finals, and it was a fourth quarter huddle. And Phil Jackson said, listen, this Boston Celtics team, they've blown fourth quarter leads all season and all playoffs. They are the worst fourth quarter team that we have faced. They will lose this game. You know, that's what he said. And that's because of Doc Rivers and having fourth quarter issues. And you fast forward to all the other issues and blown series leads that he's had. It's not a coincidence. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Keep it right here. We'll continue the conversation on this matchup, the NBA playoff matchups, and more. Phillies tonight, they take on the Mets. Ryan Rothstein from the uh, Philadelphia City cast, the podcast. Is it out today? Today's podcast out? It's about to be posted probably in the next 15 minutes. All right. Check that out and follow him on Twitter at WiseRye. We'll talk more about the matchup, these NBA playoffs, some more Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, 531 Phillies tonight. They take on the Mets, Sixers. They take on the Raptors Saturday in the NBA playoffs. You know, the last time they played the Raptors in the playoffs, game seven, Kawhi, quadruple doink. Brian Rothstein from the Philadelphia City cast is with me for uh, this hour of the show. We're uh, taking a look at that. Phillies, all the stuff that's happening out there. All right, so... This series, not uh, not my favorite series of them all, but they kind of did this to themselves when they lost that game to the Raptors the other night, by the way. That was a game they could have taken care of. I know they didn't have Thibel, but no Ananobi and no Van Vliet in that game. It's absurd. It's absurd. That was a must win, and it just seemed like they weren't ready. It, that, that, that felt like Toronto treated that game like NBA Finals Game 7. That atmosphere was bonkers, and the Sixers just... That's my other gripe with this Sixers team, MG. Just too many times in this early James Harden era, they just sort of strut out onto the floor to start games. Somebody asked me a question, and I think it's a good one. Who's the guy on that team in the huddle that pulls everybody together and say, we need a stop here? I asked you that. Was it you? Yeah. All right. Well, that was a good (laughs) question. I was thinking yeah, about that. I, over, I was there Saturday, and I'm looking in the huddle because when you I, you brought that up, and I was there Saturday, 
I didn't make it to any other games. Oh, I thought you went to My the intention team. was to do all three, but I got overruled. Ah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, it's a fair overruling. That's a tall task. Well, see, all right, so real quick, what happened was the Sixers game was a TBD. There was no oh, time on this game until, like, this past week. Right, right. But I saw that the Flyers game was 730. So mm-hmm. when the Flyers game was 730, I said the Sixers game has to be an afternoon game because i got to change the ice. Yep. Then the Philly schedule didn't come out till later because of the lockout, and then that game was a 4 o'clocker. So I said, man, we can do all three. And we were originally going to try to do that. Then my friend got honored at this uh, banquet. The, the Bas- South Jersey Basketball Summit had their awards the other night. So yep. uh, Doug from BFA, they invited me to sit at the table. They got honored for their contributions. So I went to the dinner. Ah. So originally I said, listen, I got Sixers tickets. I'll try to get some Flyers tickets. That's probably not hard considering half the building's empty. <laughs> I said, and why don't we try to get some Phillies tickets? Then I said, it's the same day as this dinner. Darn. Which, by the way, I had yeah. a blast at. It was great. It, the game was a good time? The game was great, but the, the dinner, I, I had, they, it was a well done. It was quick. It wasn't, like, over long. Um, it was fun. There was a lot of good people, a lot of people from the South Jersey ba- high school basketball community. Dan Williams from Mainland won the coach of the year. They gave out some scholarships. Uh, Pete Thompson won the uh, John Parentazzi Lifetime Achievement Award. I don't know what I he's done. That. He hasn't been at a high school basketball game in like 10 years. But <laughs> That Lifetime Achievement was from 90 to 99, I think. <laughs> yeah. He did have a nice suit on. PT did. He, he showed up. Late, and uh, he didn't have the tan suit, dude. He retired it. Wow, that's going to go up in the rafters. <laughs> he didn't have the tan suit. That's great because I told him. I said, "Dude, I think it's time to retire that." He said, "You're like the third person who told me that." So he showed up with a different suit on the other night. But wow. literally, he was like the only guy there with a suit on. PT was, yeah. Wow. All right. Listen. He walked in late, right, and. Just by himself, like leisure suit Larry, walking in with a big old cheese on his face, and he had a suit, and it was like the record scratched. <laughs> hey, it's not the worst thing in the world to be the, the best dressed in the room. But he had a suit on, it. but he had like the basketball tie. What do you mean, basketball the tie? The tie was like, had all basketballs on it. Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> like he had like this sharp tie or anything. He just had, you know, so it was a casually dressed environment. Okay. You know, I was well, rocking I guess, the three-quarter zip, you know? Right, right. I guess the basketball time maybe evens it out a little bit. That's very PT-ish. Yeah. yeah. He gave a nice speech. There were some good speeches. Uh, Paul Rodeo uh, was honored. Um, I saw that, too. That's very cool. He gave a great speech. Um, Dave Troiano, the former girls coach at Wildwood, I found out that he is not related to the other Troianos in Wildwood. Really? How about that news? That's breaking news. That is bre- it was breaking news to me. I just figured yeah, everybody down there is related. Yeah, I didn't realize that. If you're either. a Troiano, you got to be related to the rest of them, right? They yeah, run the whole two damn plus town. Two typically equals four. Yeah. Yeah. What a nice guy. It's the first time I really got a chance to like talk to him like for a couple minutes. You know, I wasn't like taking his nibbling his ear off there, but <laughs> right, right. As, as I'm so sure it was, he it was a no fun night. Anyway. I actually got up and sung "Country Roads." Apparently. <laughs> That's been reported news to you. Pete Thompson. Where, where did you do that at? So it was at the Avalon Golf Club. 
which ah. has a cool little bar. Who knew, right? No, yeah, not me. It was Certainly cool. And me. so the guy playing the guitar was playing the guitar, and he was done. And right when the banquet finished, we all come rolling out. And I said to the guy, hey, I'll give you 100 bucks if you stay and play another hour. Really? So the guy's like, uh, you got to ask the owner. So we asked the owner, and she was like, she said to the bartender, do you mind staying for another hour? And he was like, uh, sure. So we gave the guy 100 bucks. Now, I timed him at 38 minutes. I think he quit. <laughs> I think wow. he was like, that, I think he's like, these people have had quite too many slack tides here. <laughs> well, 38 minutes, though. You paid him for an hour. I don't right? I, I could be speculating on that. But <laughs> we offered him another 100 to stay, and then the place was like flickering the lights. Like, all right, you guys got to go. <laughs> yeah, the place was the packed. The place was absolutely packed. I mean, we they probably would have been full for another two to three hours, to be honest with you. Wow. Now, did you guys take the party elsewhere? No, in fact, that was the night of the UFC fight, and my friend had the fights at his house, and he was calling, and we were supposed to go to watch the fights at his house, and we were on our way, and I said to my girlfriend, I said, I don't think it's a good idea. We should probably call tonight. Yeah, we should probably call this one a, yeah, a day. That's, that's a full day. That was, you know. Yeah. That, that's, you know, I talked about that on Saturday night. Like, that, that's a really cool bucket list thing. Like, how many times do you have that happening, all three teams it's in one day? And five to, times. What's that? It's happened five times. In for Philly, only five in times. In Philadelphia, it's happened five times where the three teams played on the same day at non-overlapping times. Wow. That according to Boop stats. Okay. That's a, that's maybe questionable, but it's a good, uh, no, right. Boop, he worked at the Inquiry. He's a good No, player. I'm messing. Yeah. Um yeah, that's awesome, man. And of course the Flyers ruined the uh the sweep opportunity. Yeah, by the So by the way, we had um so for the Sixers game, we had a suite. So we got there, and there was, like, all this food in there, right? So my yeah. girlfriend was like, are you sure we're supposed to be to be in here? I mean, they were just pulling food. Like, I thought to myself, if you went to all three games, the amount of money you would spend on eating all day. Oh, my yeah. God. It's a lot of money. I mean, just on tickets alone, it's, it's not cheap. And then you got to eat, like... You said maybe have a beer too. It's that's an expensive day. You, you could go to Florida for a weekend. You could, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> you know the ballpark food underrated. Like, do you go to the game to go to the game, or is like the food aspect part of I'm going to the game? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question that I've been debating here recently, especially with the breaking news of you know a local establishment inserting themselves. To Citizens Bank Park, like what? What's there's really no food that I look forward to. Like if I'm going to a Phillies game, no disrespect to you know the the greats, the Tony Luke's of the world, the anything. I'm not a hot dog guy, and like peanuts and cracker jacks, do they even sell those at baseball games anymore? It's a good question. <laughs> when was the last time you had a box of cracker jacks? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I haven't. At least I haven't seen the guy walking around with them. No. It's like beers, and that's it. Beers. <laughs> well, the, the Phillies do have a, an eclectic mix of, of things to eat there. They No, they have a great menu. I mean, all these the, baseball well, stadiums. Well, Fargo now, Center, I mean, they've got places all over the place. They got the, the, the Shake Shack. Shake Shack. Yeah, they got, they they have got a the lot pizza going on slices. in that place. Yeah, they got those pizza slices. They're like the size of somebody's head. It's a great marketing idea, you know, like those massive slices. Genius. Unbelievable. But, 
what's your go-to food? I don't really have one. See, okay, this is funny because it's going to sound ridiculous. Because I got into this conversation with a guy over on Twitter, and I said, it was actually crossing broad, and I said, Jersey Shore pizza is better than Philly pizza, and cheesesteaks, for that matter, are too. So, of course, I got attacked by all the people who are like, this is ridiculous. I like the, the Atlantic City roll better than the Philly steak, but I'm in Philly so infrequently, it's not that I don't like the Philly cheesesteak, so when I'm there, I feel compelled to get one because we don't have them here. So it's like when you go out to dinner someplace, you get something that you wouldn't normally make at home. Yeah, right? 100%. Like, I got a cheesesteak when I went to the Sixers game like three or four weeks ago. I was starving. I was like, let me get a cheesesteak. When but- we go to Clearwater, we get a cheesesteak all the time. They have them. They, they fly them down there, and they're, they're really good. What do you mean they fly them down there? There's a place in in the Phillies, uh, what's it, the name of the stadium? Bay Care Ballpark that serves Philly cheesesteaks. Oh, wow. And they fly the bread down. That's cool. Yeah. So when we're there, it's like, oh, we're at a Phillies game. I'm going to get a cheesesteak. Yeah. I like that. I, I like that idea a lot. Like, And especially like Manco and Manco's in Citizens Bank Park. Does that take away from, like, all the people that come to Ocean City to vacation? Dude, I like, does posted, that take away from the novelty of it? I don't know, but I posted that story, and the reaction was unbelievable. Like, you know, look, Manco, Manco, it's no secret. They probably are well aware. Some people think they're the greatest pizza on earth, yeah. and other people think they're terrible. Yeah. I happen to like Manco and Manco's. I'm not one of those Me people too. that are like, oh, it's terrible. No, no, I like the pizza there. It's one of those things. When I'm Ocean City, that's what I, I get. It. Like I'm not going out of my way to go get it if I'm there. But people were like, "Terrible, the worst." Blah blah. The line for that place, I said, "These people are ridiculous." Like the line for that place was outrageous. I heard to Absurd. get pizza there. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not waiting in any line. I don't care. No disrespect to any establishment. I'm just not waiting in that ridiculous of a line. For no, anything. no, no. I'm not going to Citizens Bank Park and waiting in the pizza line. But your question is valid. Because I said, look, the people from Philly, they come down here and they look forward to that pizza. Yeah. And that's like, you know, like just like anything in but life. It's just like, like you me. Relate- I like the Philadelphia. I like the Atlantic City style cheesesteak better. But when I'm in Philly... Because I'm up there and I don't get there that often, it's not that I don't like their cheesesteak. I just prefer ours. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. Like, our, the Atlantic City rolls and the cheesesteaks down here are, I, I would put them up at number one. Like you said, I, I think it's 1A, 1B because the Philly cheesesteak we have to respect and honor, sort of, as you mentioned. Totally different kinds. Yeah, it's, it's night and day. It's like apples and oranges, like yeah. 100%. Now, now, if I'm getting a slice of pizza, I don't really think I have a preferred spot. Um, I, I, I do. I mean, I have like probably like a top five list that I won't, I don't know if I'll share off the top of my head, but I do think pizza down here is better. I think the rolls down here are certainly better, but I'm not, like you said, I'm not the guy, oh, Manco and Manco sucks. That's like the people that say Pats and Gino sucks just because they want to be the local that has like a better, you know, hole in the wall spot. Right. That's like, how I look at right. it. Right. They don't want to be the one that goes to the place that is deemed to be popular by everybody else. By tourists. Yeah. I've only had Pats and Gino's maybe once each, though. Only once each? And really? it happened to be on the same night when Pete and I were 
at the 2009 NLCS, the Phillies had beaten the Dodgers. And after uh-huh. we went to Pat's and Geno's and brought, bought one from each spot. <laughs> Helping us you get f- to the size we now are. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, you got to put in the work. I mean, Jeez. if you go to Pat's, you got to go to Geno's and vice versa. Yeah. That was basically, so we were driving home. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, we've got cheesesteaks from both places. I said, I've never even been to either one. <laughs> and that's not a thing for us, too. We're blessed down here to have such great food. That's true. That's true. All right. So we'll uh, take a quick timeout. We'll come back. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, I have another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip coming up here on the Sports Bash Live. Brought to you by Russell Peters Act Your Age World Tour Saturday, August 20th at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. Tickets on sale Friday at 10 a.m. at OceanAC.com. Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. By 5.51, Ryan Rothstein will uh, finish up the hour here from the Philadelphia City cast. Uh, by the way, what is your feelings on this whole Thibel situation? I mean, there are some people that think that uh, his career, you know, after this could be in, in some jeopardy. <laughs> I mean... People are overreacting, man, as always. I, I, I just, I mean, it, what are you asking Did when you you're hear saying that, just Did his... you hear, like, about, like, hey, he, you know, he's jeopardizing his career here. And he even admitted, like, I, I know that I'm possibly jeopardizing that. I don't think he is. You know, I mean, listen, that's his choice, whether I agree with it or disagree with it. I'm not going to, you know, rake the dude over the coals like I've seen some people do on social media. But it is it is a little bit selfish and unfortunate now that we're not going to have him. Uh, impact of the series at all or minimal? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I mean, sure, there's an impact as we touched on MG, but I'm not going to look at this as the breaking point as to why the Sixers win or lose. Uh, would you agree? Or disagree? Uh, I don't know, man. I, I feel like... My biggest problem is, like, the other night, Siakam's going crazy, and they don't have anybody that can defend, like, in that situation. I don't think Thibel's a great on-ball defender. Where he's really good is getting into passing lanes, coming from behind, he gets the blocks, he gets the yep. tips, he gets the, the steals from the back. But, like, if Van Vliet's having a, a night where he's just going bonkers, they don't have anybody that can, like, all right, here's Thibel, get a steal, get in the pass. I don't know who's going to be that they're tr- they have no transition offense at all or defense or defense. transition right that too so yeah. yeah i do think it's a i think having him could maybe like steal a game for you i, I mean i agree it's just going to have to be now a different role player someone else is going to have to step up not named Joel Embiid or James Harden you know in a game three four or five that can at the end of the day win you the series um, do you miss the cream uniforms? No, I don't like the creams at all. Me do neither. you? No, I don't like the cream. I forgot that they were even a thing. I mean, someone said to me, what are you, you know, the pinstripes, they've just been going pinstripes. I'm like, good. I love those. See, I don't like the pinstripes either, but no, nah, I'm not a pinstriper. What do you, <laughs> so what's your preferred Phillies? Uh, the Phillies, I like the gray, I guess. <sighs> I don't love the gray. Once in a while, all gray, fine, but they don't do anything for me. I, I, I don't love the Phillies' threads in general. Like, 
They could be better, right? It's not like they're the Yankees where those pinstripes or the grays are, like, so iconic. We need yeah. to keep them. I, I don't know what else I could do, I mean, but don't like the cream. No. Me either. Yeah. They can keep those on back order. I don't really care. Yeah, apparently Nike couldn't make them. Yeah, yeah the order just hasn't been shipped or something. Well, like, the, the, because of the lockout, like... You didn't How does think, that happen? Right? You didn't think that, like, make start... Like, what, do you think they weren't ever going to play? Right, like you didn't have them ready prior to like I don't understand. Makes no sense. <laughs> no. Nah, uh Phillies stupid. Mets tonight. You interested? Absolutely. Big series now. What are we gonna get from Ranger Suarez this year? I'm curious. It's gonna be uh a wild card. Suarez is the wild card. If he pitches like he did last year, they got <laughs> something interesting. Yeah, they got more than something. He had a one point three six ERA. Yeah. I think we'll take that. He was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. We'll talk more Sixers Raptors later on this week. Yep. And of course, uh, Phillies Mets. We got that. Some Eagles stuff as we get closer to the NFL draft. Check out Ryan Rothstein's Philadelphia City Cast wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow him on Twitter at Wise Rye. And uh, he'll be back on Wednesday right here on the Sports Bash. All right, man. All right, man. Talk Wednesday. Thank right, you. There we go. All right. That'll do it for me. But first. It's your final chance to qualify here on the Sports Bash. Caller 7, 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Give me Caller 7. If you are Caller 7, you're entered to win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice. That includes airfare, hotel stay, a free game tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. Caller number seven right now. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrip.com. And it's brought to you by our friends at Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. We will be live on Thursday, April 28th at Slack Tie Brewing Company. Caller number seven. Good luck. One more chance to qualify tonight at 6.55. Have a great night, everybody. I'll talk to you tomorrow.